Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Worm, a Daily Planet Films podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss the hit web serial Worm week by week, arc by arc. My name is Matt Freeman, your host and sole owner of the only interdimensional portal between our world and Earth Pod, a planet entirely inhabited by amateur podcasters. Speaking of which, here's one of them now, my co-host, Scott Daly. Scott, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Matt. Your planet is so much more interesting than my own, a place where everyone is perpetually working on perfecting their NPR voice. It's a nightmare. As you said, this is the podcast where you, a worm expert, guide me, a first-time reader through Wild Bill's world of superheroes, supervillains, and everything in between as I inspect, interpret, and even speculate on what the story is and where it is going. This week, we are finishing up Arc 19 Scourge, uh, starting from 19.5 through the end of the arc, and we are uh, finishing up the Echidna interlude. We're, we're one big, not interlude, section, arc, part of the story. Yeah, one big part arc. of the story is yeah. is is completed now, um, and, and what an amazing one it is. I think, you know, we've been, we've been kind of building to this climax for a while now, and we're finally here. We're finally ready to... to for the big battle to happen, all this stuff comes together and it's some, some very emotional stuff happens during these, these few chapters. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of character threads going on as you anticipated. This is the end of Echidna. Um, we also get some really powerful, uh, interludes in here and, and overall, um, this is a very satisfying conclusion to this section of the story, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's something that that I've been looking forward to a lot, and I think at the end of this, if we have time, if we don't go over, we're going to kind of rate this part of the story as compared to the other ones. Um, but we'll see on that because we usually go over. Uh, yeah. One, one, one remark I had about this is that, like, w- once again, my my instincts in terms of, of the relative quantity of, of action versus character stuff is is wrong. Because if you ask me, like, how much action is in this arc, I would be like, oh, it's mostly action. But if you actually go chapter by chapter, it's actually more like, you know, set up, set up, set up, set up, combat, combat, and then character resolutions. Um, and so it, I, I just I'm, I'm always surprised when I when I actually go back and look over the chapters and remind myself of what happened where, because uh, it's just your for whatever reason, your mind kind of amplifies certain things. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's weird kind of about the fact that we had to divide this amongst two different episodes is the first half of this arc was was all that setup everything you just said the the four or five chapters of setup and then this is all climax um and it's it's kind of awkward in a way um it's not my favorite thing to do i wish we didn't have to do that i wish we could tell it all in one thing but there's just far too much in there i mean we talked for two and a half hours last week we're probably going to do the same this week although hopefully hopefully a little lower than that but um it's just there's just so much it's so dense and um, it, it's, we're, we're forced into it, but I think this is, this is definitely a very satisfying conclusion. Yeah. And with that, let's move into some, some announcements real quick. Um, because as we said, we're, we're finishing up another big book quote unquote of the story. Um, so we're going to do another mailbag. It's been about nine, 10 episodes since we did the last one. Um, so we're going to do another one. This is actually going to be, I think, unless something crazy happens, our last mailbag before we finish the book, which is insane. Um, we're, we're, we're getting there, but, um, so, so after this episode, you know, send in all your questions, uh, send them on Reddit. Uh, you can email us at gotwormpod at gmail.com. Um, we also have started to attach a schedule for the rest of worm to the show notes. So if you want to see 
what weeks are going to be what chapters, you can go to that schedule and see that all uh, written out for you. So uh, get in your questions. I, 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 li- I like the mailbags a lot. And uh, we have something else we're doing with the mailbag, which we'll share at the end of the episode, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Stick okay. around and we'll we'll announce we'll announce that. Yeah. Um, and another thing we're doing is uh, the Daily Planet uh, is going to be donating a, a bit of money to the Houston relief efforts. Um, I'm I'm from Houston. Um, I lived in Houston most of my life. Um, I'm I'm honestly pretty been out of shape about the about about what's happened to my hometown. Um, and and Scott and I kind of agreed that we just we have to do something. So we're gonna we're gonna give what what we can um, to one of the uh, kind of more direct action charities on the ground there in Houston. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that I didn't even think about when we were we were looking at our download numbers. Um, from last week was they were a little bit down from what they normally are and we were trying to figure out why that is and part of the reason is because as we looked through the geographic statistics houston is our biggest region as far as uh listeners so not only are you from houston not only did we both go to school about an hour from houston but uh, a lot of our listeners are down there so we feel like it's just you know it's kind of to us to we we have the ability to do something and we're going to so yeah yeah we, we feel for you guys um yeah hope you enjoy hope you enjoyed this episode hope it cheers you up a little bit yeah 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 all right now uh, let's move into comments and questions scott um so, so this is from uh, paper prayers and the question is since you guys have brought up the web serial format i'm curious about your thoughts do you think web serials will ever be popular a, a popular medium or will it forever remain a niche one um and what do you think about how uh, uh, Worm has affected the perception of web serials, uh, positive or positively or negatively? Yeah, this was an interesting question. Um, I think, you know, my experience is one of I've never read a web serial before Worm, so I was like tangentially aware that this whole uh, world of online publishing existed, but I had never been part of it. Um, and I think there's a, there's a kind of a stigma to it. There's that. Either these are not good enough to be published books or um, not serious works of literature. So to answer the question of how has Worm uh, have how has Worm affected or how could Worm affect the perception of these kind of things? Well, it's it's really good. So I think it brings an air of legitimacy to it. And I I think that, you know, as far as is this ever going to be a popular medium is ever not going to be a niche kind of thing. I don't know. I think books are kind of ingrained in culture, so but everything is shifting to online. So it doesn't it wouldn't surprise me if if more and more things are published like this. Yeah, I, I think the categories are becoming less rigid too. Like like uh uh The Martian was originally written as a web serial. Oh and, yeah, I forgot that. And and became a book and then became a movie and and you know, who knows what the future holds for for Worm. Um, but like for, I've read a number of kind of serialized online things, which I don't know if I would call all of them webs, like they weren't all serialized novels in the same way Worm is. But, um, I feel like, I feel like, like kind of like podcasts, it's actually a medium that is filling a need that, that went away and now is returning or, or maybe people didn't quite know how to address it for themselves. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I see it. I see it as a thing that could potentially grow. And I think, I think things like worm really do help that, uh, well-written 
well-done stories with with rich, complex characters and themes um, bring an air of legitimacy to it. And I hope, you know, I, I think Worm is is a, probably one of, am I speaking out of turn by saying it's one of, if not the most popular web serial? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would say that, that, yeah. that's, that, that there's at least a strong case for that being true. Yeah. So I think that um, that helps a lot that you get people that are doubters that don't look at this as real uh, literature. Um, read it and say, wow, this is, this is good. So, um, hopefully, hopefully that's where we're going and, and it's going to be interesting to see what the next few years holds. Yeah. Cool. I think that's All all we had for questions this week, just because, you know, we're doing a whole mailbag next week. There were a couple things that I did want to talk about, but I kind of decided to just save them for next week's episode since we'll get to talk about them a little longer and won't, won't be pushed for time this week. Okay. Yeah. That's a good idea. All right, then let's move on into the uh, beat by beat analysis. We open with 19.5 and uh, we let we last left off with uh, Echidna smashing up out of the ruins of Coil's base through a, a nearby parking garage. And then as this chapter opens immediately, the Gru clone with a teleportation power uses it on the gathered capes trickster style to just scatter everyone breaking up battle lines. Yeah, and it's here. The final fight is here, Matt. And this, like we talked about, this is the climax of the section of the book. And we kind of immediately throw our side into a disadvantage by separating everyone out and taking the organization away from these groups. Echidna is such an interesting villain to me, Matt, because on the one half, we have our established master tactician in Noel. She's she's smart. She can see the entire board and react accordingly. She can kind of adjust her strategy on the fly, similar to how Taylor can do that. But then, unlike Taylor, you have this other side of Noel, which is the echidna side, the thing that causes her to go on these mindless rampages that stops her from thinking and strategizing and just kind of pushes her into this blind rage. And we kind of get to see both sides in this fight. And I think it's a it's a clever way of, of both showing how someone is tactically smart, but at the same time makes dumb decisions all in the same little monster. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some ebb and flow that are, that are caused by that. Yeah. And it, it pays off in a rather uh, amazing way at the end of the fight. Yep. So Skidder, who who is flying around on, on Atlas at this point, uh, sets to work trying to use her bugs to tie a silk cord around the Gru uh, to hamper him. Yeah. Yeah, hamper, Matt. That's that's what she's trying to do. Just just a hamper. Yeah, him. yeah. Just kind of impede. Uh, and then we see the triumvirate make a coordinated strike. Idolan uses a bubble of slowed time to catch Echidna, and then Alexandria pummels her with a traffic light pole, while Legend carves her up with lasers, so that they do a great deal of damage very rapidly. Um, and they also manage to pry and cut out a hero or two. And the thing that surprised me most about this, and I mentioned it on Twitter, is is how much your perspective of people can shift over time because I remember the first time we saw these guys all together, it was like awe inspiring, like the triumvirate. We'd heard about these guys. Here's the three of them. They're kind of these larger than life heroes. And Taylor was kind of like that too. The first time that she saw them, I think, I think Alexandria was really like the only hero that Taylor let herself uh, geek out a little bit on. Um, But a few few hundred thousand words later, and we kind of know what these guys really are now. And, we're much more kind of indifferent to them or even a little hostile. And I think Taylor kind of shares into in that indifference and hostility, like the way she describes how they're fighting is very, it, 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 it holds no reverence. There's no awe in it. It's just very matter of fact. It's like uh legend did this. I did this. And then Alexandria did this. And it's 
like in a few paragraphs, we see how she's describing uh, Chevalier. Did I pronounce that right? I think I think it's Chevalier, even though I always want to say it's Chevalier. Okay. Well, uh, that guy um, uh, like uses the awesome gun blade and there's like you can see like amount of respect for him um, in Taylor's how the way she describes him fight. And you just don't feel that in these guys. And I just thought that was very interesting uh, to point out. Yeah, she's definitely not in all of them anymore. It's almost like she sees herself as as one of them, like like we're all capes here. And, and you know, later on, she she kind of doesn't hesitate to take command of other capes who are, you know, also pretty powerful. Um, right. So. Yeah. So, yeah, her attitude is, has shifted a bit. Definitely. Um, perhaps the symbolism of the Alexandria lunchbox full of money is is starting to become apparent. Um. So the the guru the guru teleports uh, Echidna away from the attack, uh, and Skitter ties one of one end of her cord around the around uh, the guru's neck and attaches the other end to Echidna so that when she dashes away, it snaps his neck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> remember when we spent all this time talking about the killing of the clones and like all this time humanizing them and showing how bad Taylor feels when she's forced to kill them? So you'd think. You'd think in this moment where she has to snap the neck of her boyfriend. I mean, not technically her boyfriend, but um, it's a clone of her boyfriend, but still kind of her boyfriend. You'd think there'd be some moment here where she has some emotion about like, wow, I just had to do that. This is the guy I care for. Um, But there's not. There's not really anything. She just kind of does it and then moves on. And I, I thought that was very interesting and maybe a, a, a another symptom of their not great relationship. Yeah, there's a remarkable absence in this arc of any evidence whatsoever that she cares for Gru, actually. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't um, think about him once during the entirety of this fight. Yeah, and later on when Tattletail brings him up, she doesn't really connect with the thought. Um, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that. Oh, that's going to be fun to talk about. Yeah. So yeah, Echidna smashes through some closely spaced buildings when she's hemmed in by some of the strong capes like Merdin and Chalier. Um, and, and here this is her uh, seeing how the heroes were struggling to get organized, suffering for the lack of armbands to help them navigate and get essential information. I decided in an instant that I needed to guide more than just the van. Uh, so she uses her bugs to give everyone a nice heads up display overview of the battle. Um, so she's now unconsciously updating all the arrows that are pointing at the key players on the battlefield while unconsciously controlling Atlas. Yeah. So we're again, seeing Taylor's power expand again. She's doing all this unconsciously. She's managing hundreds of things simultaneously um, without even being conscious that she's doing it. And she's picking up the mantle of leader once again. And this time it's not just her group. She is basically becoming the general of this battle and she's commanding her entire army and they kind of just go with it because they they have no communication they have no organization and and they let her step into this role and she's pretty good at it and and so what we see here now is that that uh, echidna has her army and skitter has her army and these are these two armies battling against each other yeah, totally. Yeah. I like, I mean, I like the specific beat that it, it, the text goes out of its way to say that she's unconsciously controlling Atlas, where before it was almost like she had to micromanage every little movement of Atlas. Right. Because he didn't, and, he didn't have the instincts of a normal bug that right. she could rely on. So yeah, it's like, she's, she doesn't even need that anymore. She's controlling yeah. individually every single one of these bugs without even thinking about it. Yep. It's crazy. 
So so here finally, uh, Chevalier, who we've seen a few times, he, we finally get to see his power in action. So it, it turns out that his his giant armor and his giant gun blade are like heavy and powerful and, and strong, but to him they're super light. Um, so there's some kind of space warping effects, perhaps like Finya and Minya, uh, Taylor surmises, but only applied to his equipment and not his his body. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who jumped onto the gun blade from uh, Final Fantasy VIII's Squall as soon as I saw this. And, of course, Wildbow takes that concept, which is a little ridiculous in that game, and then makes it, like, super, really cool. And I like it a lot. He seems like a really cool power set. It seems versatile and useful, and uh, I like him, which means he's probably secretly a horrible person. (laughs) Yeah, I probably rolled my eyes on some level when I saw Gunblade, and and then of course when you see how it works, you're like, oh well, yeah. If you had if you had that power, then you would want to have like a giant sword, and why not just put like a cannon in it? Because <laughs> yeah, then you uh, why not? Yeah, right. It, it makes perfect sense. It's it, it's a power that actually makes the Gunblade make sense as an object. Yeah, I yeah, love it. yeah. It, it because it's it's like totally impractical in any other sense. Like it works in Worm for very specific reasons. It does not work anywhere else. Just uh, cool, 90s cool, but it yeah, works yeah. very very well here. That's funny. So thinking tactically, Skitter anticipates that Echidna is going to make a break for it through one of the adjacent buildings. So she warns the heroes that are on the other side of those buildings that that there's a, a hazard coming. Echidna then switches up tactics a bit, spraying a huge amount of vomit that's mostly bodies rather than being mostly liquid. One of them is the self-duplicator Kudzu, which is one of those words that I read a lot but never say, um, <laughs> who we'll see more of in a bit. Uh, Murden manages to temporarily seal Echidna away in one of his dimensions while everyone fights clones. Yeah, and then suddenly it's just full-scale war. Um, like sides fighting each other, armies clashing. It's, God, it's crazy. Yeah, there's almost there's almost too much going on here for me to like actually visualize. Like I can follow it just fine. But the part of my brain that creates like a visual image, it just kind of is like, uh, I'm going to give you some small samples of what's going on, but I can't, I can't capture this many heroes with this many different powers. Cause, yeah. cause like the, the heroes are all going hog wild. They're, they're killing this giant pile of clones indiscriminately. These clones, they, they, these are like flimsy and they tear apart at like the slightest effort. Um, the armbands report that there are now 17 capes inside Echidna and that the monster, um, the, the, the like monster side is in charge and Noel is dormant. Um, and also furthermore that, that, uh, the month that, that the Echidna has a core, uh, somewhere in, inside her that is the source of her regeneration. Yeah. I, I wanted to stop and talk about this for a little bit here because one of the themes that we pulled out early, early in the podcast, maybe the first episode or two was this this idea of escalation and how we're constantly escalating as we go along to bigger, more violence, more danger. And in this moment where we have these two armies clashing with each other in this no-holds-barred fight, um, like it, it feels like just just we've we've crossed another threshold here. Like it, it makes me think back to the moment where where you said, and I think you were correct, that uh, Bakuda killing her henchman was this this point of no return moment where the book escalated to another level and that was just a bad guy killing one person and now we're here and like we've escalated from there i know we had the leviathan attack where a bunch of people died we've had the terrible things the slaughterhouse night did but 
and, and then we even had Taylor, you know, choose to end someone's life. But, but despite all that death and destruction and horribleness, we've never really had this full scale, like army versus army war where everyone's just, no one's holding back. Everyone's going full tilt. And it's just like, it's, it's war. Like we've, I've used that, that word a few times now. This is just literally a battle a, a in a war and people have superpowers. So that's as uh, terrible and, and gruesome as you would imagine it. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, Alexandria is going to be the one who kind of points out to us, like no one can know that this is a possible thing because this is such a, a horrifying idea, really. Right. Like it, it, it goes against everything that the, the protectorate has been trying to do, which is to, to play down the, the existence of these parahumans being a threat to the survival of the planet. And yeah. in, in that kind of form, it absolutely is the level yeah. of destruction. These guys can reap on each other is like shocking. Yeah. Right. So at, at this point, weld captures a clone and scapegoat uses the offensive aspect of his power transferring skitters injuries to the clone which completely debilitate the clone like right <laughs> away which i mean you have to remember that skitter was walking around with these injuries for days and uh -huh. one person gets them and is like oh fuck i can't handle this yeah so like it's like it's this really interesting kind of beat about taylor and, and maybe her her skill at compartmentalization at this point that she can she uses her bugs as a way of just not like as shelving the pain away removing it like if it hurts i go into my swarm and i just don't have to worry about the other senses i'm feeling and we there's a moment in here where she literally just does just that she she says that like she too many sensations are happening there's too much going on from all her bugs and she finds refuge in my swarm senses disassociating from my body and she does this again and again throughout this section. And it's uh, it's it's very interesting that now, like, we've been talking about how she's been doing this and she finds comfort in the swarm of her bugs. But now she's literally just, like, leaving her body behind just to deal with existing. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely its own kind of escalation. It's its own kind of, of uh, almost a slippery slope of of more and more dissociation from from not just like Taylor the person, but even Taylor the 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 human body. Yeah. Um. So yes, Skitter detects uh, using her her bug hearing basically an imminent Shatterbird attack, and she warns everyone just in time to save a number of people. But uh, she doesn't save everyone. Um, a lot of people are are injured. Tecton's suit is down. Scapegoat is down. Uh, there's 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 quite a number of injuries. And the attack is uh, is very disruptive to the heroes, and it and it takes down more heroes than it does clones because the heroes tend to be wearing costumes that have glass components, and the clones don't. Yeah, that's really really great timing, Shatterbird. Thank you. Glad <laughs> glad glad we kept you around. It's really yeah. being so helpful. There's a, like this is something that um, we don't really ever get to see what happens what, or what is happening to Shatterbird. Um, she doesn't appear in this battle. She doesn't fight. She just does her scream and then goes away. And I know you mentioned that there's a, a deleted interlude somewhere in here. So I'm hoping that the story behind what's going on with her is maybe somewhere in there because uh, it, it, it feels like this dangling thread that's just kind of left there. Well, I'm, I'm winking into the microphone, Scott. <laughs> well, I can see you now. So I know oh, you yeah. are. No, I actually am. <laughs> um, yeah, so so Skitter lands and stands by Weld uh, to fight hand to hand. She fights a number of of squishy kudzus, 
and and weld fights a durable guy who's capable of melting welds metal flesh echidna then returns from mirden's pocket dimension um at you know spectacularly bad timing uh and and one of kudzu's uh clones which is like a, a derivative power uses her variation of the of the duplication power to duplicate echidna herself and makes four echidnas yeah uh this scene this scene works so well for me mm-hmm. the, there's that moment where the uh kudzu clone calls out cover me i got this and not only do you then see in that moment that the clones are working together and both you and taylor i think i said i think i audibly said oh shit and mm-hmm. then um there's there's this like this moment reminds me of lord of lord of the rings the two towers movie where the one orc has the um the torch that's going to blow up the bombs and the wall of helms deep and like they realize what's happening they can see it happen and they're like trying to desperately take him down and they're just not fast enough and then this thing happens that just dramatically shifts everything Um, Mm. in in two towers the wall blows up here suddenly there are four of the things that you were trying to kill and weren't able to and it's just this this moment of escalation that is like like jaw-dropping yeah, this this whole battle does a wonderful job at, at that kind of thing where things just get worse and worse. And even if you have a reprieve, um, they're going to be worse when the reprieve is over. Um, it's 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 masterfully done. I mean, Wildbow does this consistently, actually, um, all, all over the place. But this this exact moment here where even even Skitter reacts to it kind of the way you do, where she's just like stunned and then like like the, the breath goes out of her like, oh, yeah. God, we're we're boned well and there's even that moment where a chevalier like tries to shoot it at the last moment and misses and you're yeah. just like oh it was so close it was so close yeah. and of course it's going to happen that way but it's just it's just this fantastic the tension in that scene is really fantastically done yeah so the uh the, the copies of echidna are deteriorating they're not like perfect um, but they're deteriorating slowly enough that it's still a disaster to have four of them on the battlefield. The real Echidna snags Eidolon while he's distracted with containing the others. And one of the Echidna clones kind of sits on Alexandria when she's caught off guard. <laughs> they're so fucked. That's, yeah. I mean, that's what I thought in that moment. Like, it, this is like the hush that descends upon the crowd. Um, as Taylor says, two of our best caught. Like the utter defeat that you feel amongst all these people in this moment is just like, like things were already bad and yeah. they just went to a, a level beyond bad. There's not a word for how bad things look right now. Yeah. But part of my brain is always tracking during, during things like this, like at a certain point of badness, I no longer believe that there's any credible way that the hero can get out of the situation. <laughs> and, and I'm like, e- either this is going to go really horribly or, there's going to have to be some 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 bullshit pulled essentially some 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 plot magic to get out of the situation so it's always extremely gratifying when it does get that bad when you do suddenly have four of the boss battle monster and then all of your strongest allies are taken off the board and put on the enemy side and then it still resolves satisfyingly yeah so anyway, yeah. yeah and and in a way that's set up from the before like yeah i love how this resolves it's it's very good we'll get there we're jumping yeah. out a little bit yeah but. yeah so, so yeah echidna spits out in alexandria 
uh, which which is in the tag is called Apocrypha, which I'm, I think I'm going to use because I love it so much. <laughs> um, and everyone can recognize this clone as looking close enough to Rebecca Costa Brown that uh, they're convinced. Oops. That, oops. Yep. Yeah. And then an Idolin pops out um, and he reveals a regenerative a regenerative power. And here we go. Final battle. Round two. So let's climax the shit out of this. That's right. 19.6. So, uh, so it's a pretty cool little dose of characterization that Idolin, the, the, the clone, um, Ignis Fatuous, I believe is, is the tag name, uh, prioritizes dressing himself and the Alexandria in evil dark mirror costumes while everyone is rushing in to kill them. Yeah. And it's this interesting thing that ties with like, we've hit this beat of how plain Idolin looks like a bunch of times throughout the story. Like every time someone sees what he looks like out of his costume everyone's like "Eh." (laughs) yeah so like it kind of makes sense that even his evil clone would be like i gotta look good because nine tenths of superheroing it's looking good yeah i guess so (laughs) um yeah i'm not exactly sure what to make of it but i like that yeah so alexandria and legend or rather apocrypha and legend uh break off to have their own aerial duel and Chevalier manages to blow the hell out of Echidna by making his cannon blade absolutely enormous. Um, and then he uses the the blade part to cut off the Noel part of Echidna. Um, but it doesn't really do much. He just kind of like withers horrifyingly and then and then eventually kind of like grows back like a leg of a insect. Yeah, but it, it, what a good way to visually show how this is no longer Noel, right? by literally chopping the Noel part off of Echidna. Like yeah. that, that the person that we knew as Noel, that the person that the travelers knew is gone. And yeah. even if this thing has Noel's memories, even if this thing has some of Noel's desires, it's not her anymore. And we show that by, by getting her chopped off and withering terribly. It's, yeah. it's really clever. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, that's one. That's one thing where it kind of hits you on the emotional level, and and probably hits you on the metaphoric level, even though you might not think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So the the uh, Idolin clone selects an aerokinesis power capable of creating a vacuum over a large area. Skidder orders Rachel to move the wounded out of his range so they don't suffocate. And there are a few beats here emphasizing how people are freaked out to be picked up roughly by her giant monster dogs. <laughs> yeah. Um. This is interesting for a couple reasons for me. First of all, Rachel just follows Taylor's orders without questioning now. And, and, and Rachel is the type of person that likes to be in the action. She wants to fight. She doesn't want to be resigned to uh, heal duty, to uh, be the ambulance, I guess. And she just does it. Like, she just, like, she's she's even, it even says she's in the middle of, like, taking on this pack of clones. And, like, as soon as gets she gets the order, she immediately breaks off and and goes and follows taylor's order so it's just like where this relationship is now is like so amazing and we're going to see another great beat showing how strong this relationship is now in a bit but the part i like the most about it is that skitter in order to comfort the people freaking out about the giant dogs picking them up talks to them in her creepy swarm voice <laughs> that says don't worry it's just for evac and that's just like so you have a giant mutant dog picking you up and then creepy bugs speaking to you, telling you it's fine. It's just like these guys yeah. can't not be terrifying, even yeah. even when they're doing like good things. It's just really funny. 
I know. I love the the fact that they're the horror movie team. Yeah, yeah. So Skidder thinks about the fact that uh, even though a relatively small fraction of the heroes are actually injured, a larger portion of the heroes are taken up with transporting and tended to the injured. Yeah, which is which is a great way of showing like what the distinct disadvantage of being a hero is when you're in these kind of fights. You you like you have to help people. Like you can't not. That's part of being on that side um side note this is how you make superman interesting uh movie writers you don't like have him just fight someone equal to his power that's boring you have him constantly having to save people while also still fighting someone that's equal to his power that's more interesting do that stop with the stupid fighting no one cares seeing two indestructible people punch each other it's boring yeah, but Scott, they destroyed they destroyed Metropolis, and that was really awesome. No, everyone wanted to stupid. see that. We have okay. to we have to show Superman murder someone because we need to see how he learned that murdering was bad. <laughs> Fuck you, Zack Snyder. All right, so uh, Meriden and Idolin end up uh, dueling, um, and it's 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 pretty cool actually. The the fight is spread out over a few p- paragraphs. And interspersed with some other stuff, but despite several people, including Regent, trying to lend a hand, uh, it ends with Idolin uh, murdering Merdin. Yeah, what a sad moment. And that Regent was in there at the end, like trying to help him. Like, it's such a great moment for Alec. It really is. Like, I know that it doesn't work, but he tried. Like, he saw these people fighting and he stepped in to try to save someone. And for this person that seemingly doesn't know what emotions are uh, doesn't understand normal like social conventions to to step in and do that is just really wonderful and i like him so much um, yeah he's got a lot of issues but man when he when he is good it's like it's so great yeah i feel like every alec moment we get in this whole arc is is him being pretty cool yeah um, yeah yeah which is i guess an advantage of of not feeling emotion because you also don't feel uh terror <laughs> yeah as as like your your team is is clearly losing i don't remember if this was emphasized or or if we know this it's it's the kind of thing i if if if, if you don't know this it's not like a a bad spoiler but it's just like i'm pretty sure idolin and, and murden like i'm pretty sure murden was like a uh what's the word like, like, like they had some kind of personal relationship like 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 murden like worked for him at one point so this is like even sadder I may be making that up too. Oh wow! I don't. So that yeah, that anyway. I would have enjoyed knowing that in that moment, but that's well, it's poss- it's possible that I, it's possible that I made that up. I mean, you but anyway, do um, make up a lot of stuff. It's true. So. Yeah, but let's just pretend that that's true, so we can be sadder about it. Okay, I am, I am sad. Good. Yeah. So um. Oh, there, there so, was there was one thing oh, I wanted ahead. to mention here because there's one moment where like Taylor is like assessing her situation and finds out that all the capes that are standing around her are people she's never met before. And mm-hmm. like we're just fully in the in the fog of war now, like like the strongest capes are, are, are dead or taken out of the fight. Idolin and Alexandria clones are, are occupied for now. But like this is really where things are at their most dire. Even the people that are left, Taylor's like, I don't know who you are. And that she can't really use them in her toolbox when she doesn't know who they are. Yeah, good point. So at, at this moment, Gully uh, walks by carrying clock blocker. Yes. And we have this this nice moment. Uh, he turned his head toward me. I could barely make him out over the wind. You're still here. What did he mean by that? Was he surprised that I was still alive? That I hadn't run? 
I wasn't sure how to respond. <laughs> I said on Twitter, sick burn clockblocker. And I got a few responses from people that were like, what? He's like, he's not being mean here. And I was mostly joking. Um, I think Clockblocker here is pleasantly surprised rather than like trying to to rile her. He's surprised happily to see that Taylor's still there, that she's still fighting, that she's being part of this when she doesn't have to be. Of course, Taylor kind of sees it as an insult. It's either you're too weak or you should have ran is kind of what she interprets it as. Um, but man, I love Dennis. I love Clockbocker so much. Yeah. Um, I, I just like, for some reason, him showing up here, I, I found this this whole battle to just be um, very like punishing. I guess is the word. Like like it keeps getting worse and worse. Murden is killed. He, he's a guy you like. Like like you know when you kill a named character, it kind of kind of hurts more than usual. Yeah. Clockblocker is 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 like injured really badly to the point where Gully's not sure that he's going to live. So it's it's all like it's it's really bad you 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 feel really bad because you're 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 worried that's one trick that i've seen executed before where if you kill one lesser named character and then you show one named character you really like like clock blocker um on the verge of death then you're way more likely to think that his death is plausible is like going to happen you know what i mean right which i guess is something we didn't even mention here that like gully basically says uh, the clock kid is probably going to die yeah. at, at this point. And you're just like, holy shit. Like, and, and, and Taylor in this moment, like cares and is like trying to, to like talk him out of death, I guess, or just trying to yeah. make him feel better. Right. And, and, but then at this moment, which is already like a low point, the Idolin clone speaks. Um, and, and he's basically, his rationale is like, is like, I want you guys to challenge me. So I'm going to make you angry. So I'm going to kind of destroy your whole world by telling you about Cauldron and the role of the of the triumvirate in, in Cauldron and the truth about the K-63s. Yeah, he also mentioned somebody named uh, Grey Boy, which I only mentioned here because when I said it on Twitter, I got like 57 responses and even more likes on the tweet. So I'm guessing this is somebody very important. <laughs> um, I... I I mean, that didn't, I don't think that ruined anything for me, but, um, it's, it's, very, it's, you can judge how much people like a character or are interested in a character by you say their name in a tweet. Uh -huh. And then these people say, I think whenever I get new, uh, whenever I get new character stuff in there, I just put a, a tweet out that says, who is this person? Just to see what people's uh -huh. responses to it are. Um, it's, it's kind of fun, but, but anyway, um, this, this moment is really devastating and and the truth finally comes out and it comes straight from the horse's mouth or the the clone of the horse uh, that's not the point i like <laughs> that I, I do like that moment where the, the idolin clone matches what we know about the, the, the real guy that that he looked at noel as the best way to test his power um that that he used it as some way to tap into this deep recess of power inside him and the clone Idolin wants the same, but like any good evil clone, he doesn't care whether that challenge comes from uh, a bunch of innocent people, a bunch of heroes. He doesn't care where it comes from. And he, he attacks them the way the best know how he, he destroys that lie that brought them all here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so this, so this is the real low point now. And yeah, like, yeah, we're here. I, 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 I do distinctly remember 
the first time I read this, just having having a very strong emotional reaction to, to like the, the level of like, wow, this is the this is like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. On one level, on one level, when reading, I'm always like engaged and like immersed. But on, on another level, I'm like meta analyzing it and just and at this point right. I was I, I was like this is the most effective like hammering in the low point I've ever experienced in in fiction um and and then of course um and, and clock blocker says uh you know that this is it this has lost us the fight um and, and he means not just the fight but he means more or less the war uh but but skitter more or less takes it all in stride because she already distrusts authority yeah, and and th- that's such an important thing that that he's not talking about the fight. He's talking about everything. He's talking the protectorate has lost. The world has lost mm-hmm. because even as corrupt and terrible as the protectorate was, the world kind of needed it, and and this this truth has destroyed it. The trust, the camaraderie, the earnest friendship that we saw between these characters in last week's episode that that Skitter kind of marveled at is gone. And I don't know if there's a way to ever get that back. How are you ever going to be able to trust these people? How is anyone in this group going to be able to trust each other? I I just, you you just don't see it happening. And I do, I do like that in that moment that, that Clockbacker paints Skitter as optimistic when she says that she thinks it'll all be okay. Um, because I don't, I don't really think Taylor's being optimistic here. I just think she's not surprised because when it comes to authority figures, Taylor is a pessimist. She assumes that everyone in a, a place of authority is going to disappoint her in some way. So when she learns that that, that very thing is true, she's just like, yeah, well, that was, was going to happen. So yeah. um, Clockbacker kind of perceives it as optimism. But w- when, when you always assume that doom is coming and it actually does come, you're just like, okay, well, that's what, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better. Um, so, so since she is the, kind of the only one with her head square on her shoulders at this point, um, she, she steps into this, into this void, into this low point, and she takes advantage of this opening to speak to Noel. So she, she hands her gun first to clock blocker and tells him to shoot her in the head. If it looks imminent that Echidna is going to catch her. Um, and, and she thinks to herself back when this skirmish had started, I'd wondered if I'd be willing to make a sacrifice if it meant coming out ahead. Even if even uh, even when the idea of throwing away one life for the greater good had crossed my mind, it had been with the notion that it would be me paying the price. I couldn't wouldn't ask someone else to do it. It was in this moment when all hope had faded that Isildur, son of the king, took up his father's sword. Wait, wait, no, that's that's the wrong story. How many Lord of the Rings references can I get into this podcast? We're at two. Do we got to do a bunch? We got to do a three beat. Um, yeah. <laughs> We talked kind of jokingly last week about Taylor refusing to take the heroic sacrifice tool out of her toolbox, to, to refusing to take that off the table, even as Alec told a funny joke around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we joked around about it. And and um, we, we joked around. It was a little bit concerning that she wasn't willing to do that. But I think in that moment, part of me knew that when Taylor's talking about a heroic sacrifice... Uh, she's thinking about herself when she's talking about um, making that ultimate sacrifice. She's thinking about whether she would be willing to do it. And and we see in this moment that that she does that that Taylor here steps up. Yeah, right. 
she she shouts to Noel and she offers herself in exchange for Idolin. And she tries, as she's doing this, in front of everyone to emphasize to the heroes that they need Idolin and, and the Triumvirate, even if they're angry with them. Noel spits out Idolin and uh, he gets a chilly welcome from the heroes. Yeah, and look at her go, man. Like, even as she's trying to throw her life on the line to stop the monster, she's also trying to, like, repair the damage on the side and hope that the world is able to repair itself, even if she's unsuccessful here. Um, God, she's just like, uh, she's so awesome at this moment. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely a, a wonderful heroic moment. And it and it's, yeah, it's like, it, it's a perfectly, like I said, it's a perfectly constructed low point into which is inserted a perfectly constructed, like heroic, you know, attempted sacrifice. Right, right. Yeah, so in the course of this conversation, Skitter has to admit out loud that she did kill that she did indeed kill Coil. And there's the end of what we set up last week, that the idea of people of heroes taking responsibility, taking responsibility for the things they do. Um it, it was Taylor that killed Coil, and that is what started this whole rampage. Is Echidna herself Taylor's fault? No. But is she Taylor's responsibility? Taylor says so. And and here she's taking that responsibility. And she's, like you said, this is her being a fucking hero. And mm-hmm. it's so great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and of course how she executed is too. So she, uh, there's a small beat here. Um, she has to repeatedly use her bugs to stop Rachel from intervening. Like it happens at least twice. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a really minor small beat, but it's such a lovely one. Like we said before, I'm so happy with how their relationship is right now. I'm so happy with how trusting and loving Rachel is of Taylor, how Taylor has really helped this girl a little bit. And I think that's a little interesting when you think about it, because we get all these beats about Taylor wondering how different of a person she would have been had she been with the wards and not the undersiders, how she, how she had the kind of role models in, in Miss Militia or, or being around Clockblocker, had that kind of camaraderie that these guys seem to have, would she be better off? Um, and And we do see at times the undersiders kind of reinforce her worst qualities. Um, But Rachel, by hanging out with Taylor, has become a better person. Still, she still has some some troublesome, (laughs) troublesome tendencies, but she seems to be just a better all around person because of Taylor's influence. And that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I mean, she she's probably happier since now she's part yeah. of a human pack oh yeah which is which is what she kind of needs and is the, the closest thing to to normal you know relationships she's really capable of with her with her with her psychology i guess we can assume yeah yeah um yeah i, I agree i i think i don't i don't remember noticing it before but definitely this time reading through it i, I was i was a little a little choked up about these like rachel frantically trying to come basically stop Taylor from sacrificing herself because she knows she's going to. Um, That's so good. Yeah. So Echidna at this point stampedes toward her. And at the last moment, Skidder tells Clockblocker to use his power and his power snaps out from the handgun to freeze a strand of silk suspended in the air, which bisects the onrushing Noel and also immobilizes the Eidolon clone. Uh, And then Miss Militia insta-jibs that clone with a rocket. Uh, Flicker that is the uh, appropriate she's even getting good at one-liners yeah <laughs> flicker that i love it yeah this is this is everything i've wanted taylor to be from the beginning of the story 
Um, Everything that that Taylor has, like every moment we were worried about, is she going down the right road? Is she going down the the wrong road? And, and, And I'm still really worried about Taylor. I'm still, I still think she could end up in a bad place, but this is her just being a hero like standing there in front of, of that charging echidna, sacrificing herself, taking responsibility, but also using her, her toolbox, using her power, using everything she knows. And, and and it's all come together into this one heroic moment. And I've never been more proud of her in this moment. I, I, I've never been more hopeful for her future in this moment, that, that she could get to a place where she, where, where she could be this Taylor, this Taylor that I love so much. Yeah, I'm glad that we analyzed this because I, I, ever since I first read the story, I was aware that that this this scene, like this moment with the spider silk, was was just an awesome scene. Like, like I was like that that was awesome. Like, like this scene, you know, was so effective and made me feel all the right things. And and this is awesome. And I'm gonna tell everybody about this story because of this. But it's like that's awesome is not an analysis. Like, like in order, I really like to understand why a thing worked on me and and yeah. really the, the key is the reason it worked on us is that it's not just this awesome thing where taylor defeats the, the the monster like in a really cool and surprising way it's that she's doing it in a way that is is like a very strong character decision where she's being heroic she's really you know uh emphasizing those heroic aspects of her character and and trying to make that heroic sacrifice that that she's been kind of almost preparing for it, it, it feels like. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's just great. This is one of my favorite moments, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And it like, there's like, this isn't, we've moved on from Dinah, right? So Dinah was this one singular focus for Taylor for, for so much of this book that everything she was doing, every choice she made was to justify saving Dinah. And we moved on from that. So like, it, it would be different if Taylor like was willing to sacrifice her life to save Dinah. This is something completely different. This is something that she feels responsible for and something that she has to do. And it's, it's different from that singular focus. But, it, and I think that all just makes it more heroic that, that she like, you can, you can twist things to make her responsible for it. Like you, you can say that, you know, she killed Coyle, uh, Coyle did this and, and this, this all led to this, but really this is her just stepping up because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes it even more of a hero moment for her. Yeah. Yeah. So the chapter ends out with the heroes descending on the grievously wounded Echidna and, uh, Eidolon now freed heads up to help legend with the Apocryphas while the case 53s on the ground separate themselves from the pack. Yeah. And even in this moment of seeming victory, we, we make sure that we don't lose track of all the consequences of what just happened. Because the chapter finishes with Taylor saying, I could only hope this divide wouldn't provide as telling as the one that I delivered to Noel, uh, which is which is great. <laughs> it's a great yeah. line. Um, but also, yeah, we're like, look, things are not going to be the same. We, we might have won in this moment, maybe, but everything's going to be different from now on. Yeah, yeah. And, and it indeed seems to be. So 19.7 opens up and Clock Blocker, apparently healed now, shows up to chat with Skitter while the heroes pummel Echidna. Clockblocker asks why Skitter didn't alert him of her plan, and she says that she wasn't sure he would go through with it if he knew, uh, or, or maybe she thought he would give her a, he would give some kind of tell. 
Um, but but really, her reasoning is just instinctive. Like she just she just didn't tell him because she didn't trust him, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it feeds into her, you know, general, you know, subconscious lack of trust. And she she can't fill them in on her plan because then they'd ruin it. Like Taylor is very much. I have to do this. I have to control it because I'm the only one that can do it right. It feeds into her how she's talked about. If I had this person's power, I'd be better at it. Um, it mm-hmm. kind of feeds into that. And and it would be a lot easier if everyone just did what she said whenever she said it um, and didn't question her ever. And fortunately, Clockwalker did that in this moment. But um, uh, also, I guess I guess here's when I want to talk about like. I've become kind of infamous for like, I don't like when we intentionally hide stuff from the audience. Um, so this moment with her plan is kind of hidden from us just because Taylor's not thinking about it in the moment. Uh, I don't care. I don't care. Like, I think it works. Everything that I didn't like about that first arms master phone call when we specifically hid that from us just for a reveal at the end is not in play here. It's different. This is a different kind of reveal. This is her executing a plan that she's not even sure is going to work. And we just kind of hold it for just a little bit, like just we just a little tiny bit of of hiding things from the audience to make a beat land. And it works. So I, I don't care. I don't care. Right. Yeah. It, it's less of a plan than like a Hail Mary because because right. I, I mean, Clock Blocker could have just been like, use my power, use my use my power. Bam. She's dead too late. Mm-hmm. No. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, but it worked and it's awesome. And, and like you said, we don't we don't need to see every like microscopic thought that passes no. through every character's head no. so, and that's yeah. and that's not what i was complaining about when i complained about that thing so yeah um, this it just i just want to say that in case anyone asks but this this worked this reveal worked yeah so overhead we see uh idolan obliterate one of the apocryphas with some incredibly destructive power and then a, a, bit, a bit later in the chapter he he gets the other one just wanted to point that out um <laughs> hooray yeah so so if there's ever any argument about who's stronger um settled there <laughs> uh clock blocker asks how skitter knew his power would extend that far and of course the answer is that she didn't and she almost died uh, but she doesn't let him know that and at this point we see clock blocker start to be downright relaxed with her joking around gently ribbing her she wonders if it's a coping mechanism to deal with what has just been revealed yeah um i think it's safe to say that at least part of what he's doing here is a coping mechanism. Um, we've seen him kind of do that in the past. He's a very sarcastic person, but I think it's more than that. And I think if you sit down and analyze this, you see Dennis is he for a while now has been trying to understand these bad guys. Um, he wants to know, uh, we saw it with it, with his conversation with Skitter in the van. We saw it with this conversation with Jessica Yamada. Um, he doesn't get, how these bad guys can act so evil and can continue to get away with it. He doesn't understand them. It's driving him insane that he doesn't get, he doesn't get Skitter. He doesn't understand her and it's driving him nuts. Mm -hmm. And there's a moment in this conversation where Dennis says, so you're not really doing anything that these guys out there aren't. When it comes down to it, you're suspicious of us just like we are of each other. And he's talking here about, uh, specifically about this reveal that's that shocked them all and, and changed their line but on top of that i think you can see here that he finally connects the dots a little bit in this moment he finally understands skitter and he says you're not really any different from us and it's got to be this like eye-opening experience for him that he that he finally gets her and he sees her as not so different from any of the rest of them and 
it makes him a little happy. And and we see that sarcastic old clockblocker return that now that he he has he has figured something out here. And I could be this could be me just, you know, creating this in my mind. But it feels like that's what's happening in this moment. Um, um, yeah, I think he's definitely 100 percent like like humanized her to the point where where he, he's making these connections and, and, and empathic bonds with her because, you know, he just on, on top of what you said and, and what he said, he just saw her make a really heroic move um, and. He, he doesn't even realize how heroic it was because he's like, how did you know it would work? And the answer is she didn't know it would work. Um, yeah. And, and it, it, but, but like he's, he's finding, all, he's finding various ways to relate to her. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and it's like his biggest, his biggest problem was being able to separate these people in a world where there are good guys and there are bad guys and we're the good guys. They're the bad guys. And why aren't we winning? We're the good guys. We should be winning. And he's learned now that it's not as simple as that, that, that there are bad guys on our side. There are good guys on their side. And I think that that realization for him is like relaxing in a way that he finally understands the world a little bit more. And he's and 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 yeah, absolutely understands Taylor, uh, likes Taylor maybe a little bit, but um, it's it's God, it's a great moment, and you, you just like we've we've been set up for this for so long, like we've seen Dennis's kind of transformation throughout this book now, and I don't know what's going to happen to him next. I'm sure he's going to go through a whole lot more shit, but in this moment, I think he finally has a grip on what what the world is. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It does. It definitely is a perfect um part of his of his character arc so here telltale catches up and reminds uh reminds taylor that if she were to sacrifice herself grew wouldn't be able to handle it and (laughs) rather than rather than thinking anything like oh you're right i should think of grew and and i wonder how brian is doing right now um, she's basically just irritated that she brought this up in front of clock blocker and, and she's like, oh yeah, he can handle it. <laughs> I'm not going to use the word that everyone is thinking right now because I hate that word. You know what that word is. I'm not going to say it. Does it rhyme with bipping? It does. It does yeah. rhyme with bipping. Um, but clock blocker and skitter. <laughs> it's sitting in a tree. It's love. It's love. Yeah, I, right, this is right. this is a great little moment. Let's yeah yeah. All right, Scott, let's get our attention away from such such things. All uh, oh, right, because there's still a giant uh, unkillable beast. That's just right, right around the corner. That's right. It's it's actually right right there. Um, yeah. So so there's this this bit this this paragraph here. Um, in fairness, she still had something of an upper hand. None of our attacks were slowing her down. Not really. She was healing faster than we heard her, and our side was getting tired, burning resources. We weren't sustaining casualties, but we weren't winning this fight either. Yeah, and I think this is a really important beat, and I think this really ties into what Wildbow's going to do later in the chapter. Um, one of my problems with how all this stuff ends is that I didn't feel, at least on my first read, I didn't feel like we came back to this particular beat hard enough throughout the chapter. There, there's there's decisions being made that make sense when we keep the context of, it seems like they're winning, but they're actually still losing. And Mm -hmm. 
I think we kind of lose that a little bit as we go through all the complicated things that are happening with these the interdimensional portal and what all that means. I think we kind of lose track of that a little bit. But if we if we keep it in our mind here, the end how this all ends makes a lot more sense and I think works a lot better. But we'll we'll get we'll get to that when we get to it. Yeah, I mean there's there's this there's so much going on. There's this whole side conversation that essentially is is starting right now where where Tattletail um, it explains to Skitter how Labyrinth is going to sort of find the right dimension and Scrub is going to knock a hole using kind of a battering ram between dimensions. Um, and we get a good sense of how loosey-goosey her plan really is, um, or at least in, in Skitter's opinion it is. And Skitter calls her out on this uh, and explicitly points out that she's cranking her usual recklessness to 11. Yeah. And, and then she guesses out loud that Tattletail is feeling aimless and unfocused now that Coil is out of the picture. And Tattletale confirms that that is indeed part of it, um, but Taylor is also part of it, and she can't really just talk to Taylor about it. Uh, and and also confirms that it's whatever it is, it's partly related to her trigger event. Yeah, and at this point, part of me is very much like uh, there's a giant monster right over there. You don't have time to have this conversation. But also, part of me was like, you're about to bust a hole into another dimension. Maybe we should hash all this shit out before you do that. Um, but I, I don't know what the right answer there is really. Um, but there is a moment where Taylor says, that's it. You just need to talk to someone. And I'm just like, Jessica, <laughs> Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. And and of course that's like such a foreign, a foreign idea to Taylor. Like, yeah. well, why? Yeah. You why gotta, would you, you need to talk to someone? Talk to talk. someone? You yeah. could talk to me. Yeah. Says the person who never talks to anyone about right. how they're feeling ever. Yeah, you can talk to me, and then she like pilots fourteen bug clones doing other things while she's. <laughs> I know she's like helping. I think that's that's a really great beat that she's helping the other heroes chase down the rest of the clones. Yeah, and she's like so while she's having this really in, like emotional conversation with Tattletail, she's doing all this yeah. other shit. Uh, it's so great. Right, and I said that I said that as a joke just now, but I just remembered that later on when she is like much later in this in this arc when she is having a heart to heart with Tattletail, she's still like 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 uh, chastising children in her territory using bugs god my wife gets mad at me when i'm on my phone while we're having a conversation alone having bugs take a like punish people for misbehaving Uh, throughout your territory that's that's excellent okay (laughs) yeah i mean i think i think there's there's a case that tattletale you know strategically is doing this right now because if she were to wait then it wouldn't be possible um for yeah, various reasons. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, uh, Labyrinth is making a church, which gradually grows in size into a larger tower, and then Scrub steps close enough that his bursts are able to touch it and the structure turns into a white hole in space. And Alexandria shows up immediately and grabs Helltail by the throat. Um, but she doesn't get a lot of support from the surrounding capes. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Yeah. Maybe because she's a liar. Yeah. So so satisfying. Um, so Labyrinth is able to find Earth Aleph and the hole becomes a portal. Um, and Alexandria just consistently can't overstate how much she objects to this. She's, <laughs> she's like, you're putting everything at stake, all of us, this world, even if we ignore the chance of our very first interdimensional, interdimensional war. Um, but <laughs> Tattletail just yeah. kind of ignores her. Yeah. Uh, she, she tries to convince Faultline that she should tell Labyrinth to leave the portal to Aleph open on the grounds that Alexandria is part of the group that created all her unfortunate teammates. But Labyrinth agrees with Alexandria that the scope um, of the risks is is just too high. Yeah, and so do I. I don't know about you, but like these impl- like Alexandria is a jerk 
but she's right here. Like they have a treaty with this world. They have all these things and you know, human beings and you know that they would abuse this in some way or another. So like this could actually result in interdimensional war and everyone's being really chill about it. Except for Alexandria is like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. It's like if you had some project and the secretary of defense of the United States was like, no, no, really don't, don't do that. <laughs> and, and you're like, no, no, I thought about it for a couple minutes and actually it's, it's all going to be fine. Don't, yeah. don't be such a warrior. And like people are yelling traitor at the secretary of defense and you're yeah. like, yeah, I mean, maybe, but let's focus on this right yeah. now. Like really, really put me in jail after this. Just don't, don't do this thing. Ah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Tattletail and Skitter helpfully pressure Sundancer into deciding to kill her friend Noel. Uh, with Skitter actively stopping Tattletail from mentioning that there are still five capes inside her. God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Half chapter ago, I was so proud of Taylor. I was I was so impressed with her. And then there's this. Even like Taylor said in that in that speech about self-sacrifice that she could never ask someone else to do this. She could never ask someone else to sacrifice themselves for the cause. And then uh she she does it like four times yeah and look look i know that noelle wasn't dead the battle is far from over i know she was recovering and there was only a matter of time before things that happened that could possibly result in more people dying but damn it taylor (laughs) and nobody calls her out on this she even she even notes that like everyone knows that she's lying but they don't say anything and it's because all these people see taylor respond taking responsibility for it kind of um in, in in a kind of convoluted way and and by doing that taylor's gonna take blame for that decision so not only am i mad at taylor in this moment i'm just mad at fucking everybody else in this moment yeah it's kind of a low point for like the heroes i mean it's taylor just had a really great high point and this is like you said, it's disappointing and and it makes us disappointed in, in all these other guys who are standing around like, like Miss Militia. And, um, we don't know much about, uh, you know, I, I guess legend assuming he knows about it. He probably does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is, I think, you know, I can see what Wild Bo's trying to do here. We have this, we have this wonderful high moment, but we can't like, we have to show that yeah, Taylor just did a heroic thing, but Taylor is a very complicated person, and the, the negative traits of Taylor are not going anywhere. Um, so we 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 have this counter to that that heroically sacrificing herself to non heroically sacrificing other people. Um, but like I was saying before, I think that the thing I worry about is and the thing i think that maybe this didn't do a good enough job was was really was really set the stage around this and make it seem like like that we can't get these people out of echidna because like it's just not possible anymore like the the time the opportunity for that has passed like there's a beat in here where we see weld climb out of her and with two people and there's still five in there and then he just uh he just stops and so, and doesn't go back in and then taylor notes that he's not going back inside her but why 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 is he not able to do that? Is he just tired like what has happened that they can no longer cut the rest of the people out of her and i don't think that's hit enough to really make it seem like that we really we really don't have a choice here now that that this is this is unfortunately something that we're going to have to do but i don't i don't ever feel that i guess 
Yeah, yeah, we, we we talked about this a little bit earlier, and and I I I hope I can articulate kind of my reaction to it because because on the one hand, I think I definitely had the the, the impulse that, that that you're describing of of being like I, I wish it had been conveyed that oh yeah we definitely can't get those five people out, um, but but then part of me is like well you know this is worm so so we're we're always exploring kind of new territories of gray area. So what if it's like, you know, there's a 30% chance we could get those people out and that's and, yeah. and that's and that's just like a guess. That that would just be, I don't know, weld or 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 skittered or mismalicious guess. Um, you know, and and they're like, well, okay, so that that means there's a 70% chance that we we can't get them out before before echidna like heals again and and then starts getting real aggressive and maybe she snags you know, Miss Militia or, or Chevalier, somebody really strong and turns the tables on us again real suddenly and kills, you know, a hundred people. And, and then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll wish we had taken her out now. So it's, it's this, uh, it's this uncertainty and, um, it's, it kind of throws me back to the moment where Miss Militia detonates, detonates the base. And she's like, she, she's aware that her decision is, um, going to have negative consequences and she's and she knows that she can never be sure that the positive result that she's buying with those negative consequences is going to be worth it she, she can never know that like like so she's gonna ha- it's gonna be eating at her for the rest of her life and she still makes the decision and that's another thing that's happening right here is uh is i don't know if skater is is as you know is making the decision as as soberly as miss militia was in that moment because because taylor does not have a good uh, relationship with guilt and its proper psychological uses. Um, but, but she is basically saying like, uh, along with everyone else, like, uh, I guess, I guess the, the risks and the, and the negative outcomes are bad enough that, that we really need to just, just end this now. And yeah, it sucks. Like it's, it's, I think it's supposed to suck. I mean, I guess that's the, yeah. that's the generous interpretation perhaps. Yeah, And I, I guess, I, I think that's fair. I think that's really fair. And I think it's me attacking the writing because I wanted this to be more black and white. I wanted, because I'm in this moment of, I'm just like, I'm so proud of Taylor. I wanted this to feel like this was the only option. And therefore I could, I could remove it without my, my happy feelings of, of Taylor being damaged. But yeah, I think you're right that, that in this moment, there's no way of knowing there's no way of like, yeah, Weld's tired. Weld's exhausted carving into someone's flesh is exhausting. He's having, I'm guessing something he's having to use his power in some way, like his power, not like bypassing the Manton effect or, or or being nullified of Echidna's grossness might exhaust him in some way. And and we don't need the specifics specifics of that, but just, you're right in this moment, we're never going to know we have to make a decision and we do it. Yeah. Um, I, I I like that. I like that. The idea that it's intentionally ambiguous, whether this was right or not. And it just, it just bums me out. It just really yeah. bums me out. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm exactly where you are. Um, so yeah, so then uh, Alexandria, you know, swoops in, holds Noel in place, and Sundancer wipes her out with her her son. Um, and then, without saying another word, Sundancer takes off her costume right then and there, and walks back into her home dimension. And the other travelers follow, ballistic coming last. Uh, but not before confirming that Trickster is in custody and not coming back. Yeah, poor Mars. 
I, I yeah. like that detail of her taking off her costume at the end that she like the ultimate symbol of she's done. She's done with yeah. all this. She's done with being a cape. She's done with this world. She's just done. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully she can live a happy life over there on her planet. I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe just these people being over there could could cause some shit to happen because we've seen that the 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 cape powers like don't need to be genetically transferred that just being around uh, one of your offspring tends to switch them over or even your siblings because I think that that happens with Gru and and uh, Imp. But so maybe just their presence there could really royally fuck things up, but um but at least in this moment you, like you hope that she could find her happy ending um because this is it yeah. this is the, the end of the travelers yeah I, I will say i was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see trickster anymore after his decision to like ally himself with noel uh he seemingly kind of just arrested off screen and he goes away and it just seemed like there was some drama to be mined from him being there at the final death of noel and then later, the death of Echidna, because let's be honest, Noel has been been effectively dead for a while now. Um, of course, the, um, it, this makes my prediction was wrong. I was wrong. I said that Trickster would die being killed by Noel. Um, and I know, it, like, here's the problem with, with any kind of criticism that you make in the middle of reading something, is that, like, Trickster's going to the birdcage. I still think we're setting up the birdcage to have a mass exodus of prisoners at some point. It just seems too juicy of a narrative thing to do. So uh, trickster could, could have a role to play in the story to come. So maybe he gets an end later in the story. That is, that is a better wrap up to uh, his arc as a character than, than I saw him having here. Um, so I, I will fully, I will fully admit that, that judging anything like that is, is kind of off base and wrong, but, but I just felt like in this moment, I was just like, Oh, I really wanted to see that. And, and it's kind of, it's kind of bullshit to criticize something because it's not what you want it to be. I don't think that's fair at all, but that's that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I I don't know. I'm I don't always want to jump to immediate like defense mode, but but like I I do feel like it's a touch of realism. Like I, I agree that it probably would have been dramatically satisfying to have him be there and and maybe to have him be killed or to have him be involved or or some kind of you know reversal. Um, because if it it feels like there is like a a couple threads with him hanging, um, but but I I do admire the touches of realism, like how we get the like how you know certain certain big bads like like mannequin are kind of killed in a way that almost feels anticlimactic, but then you're like no that's actually good um, because I don't actually want all of my narrative expectations to be fulfilled because then it, then the story is just predictable. So yeah, I mean you, um, you're absolutely right. This is me. This is me wanting everything to, to fit into a nice, pretty bow. This little narrative bow um, yeah. that obviously that's not always going to happen. So it's I, I I would not call this a criticism, just like, a, oh, I wish this had happened. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I still am super happy with the way all this wrapped up. So that is kind of like just a, a, a tangential like string that's kind of hanging there that I wonder what we're going to do with. Um, yeah. OK. Yeah. So Labyrinth uh, then changes the portal to connect to an unpopulated world. Um, and I imagine that at exactly this moment, the travelers realize that everyone around them actually has long frog tongues or something. Um, sweet Simpsons reference. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Deep cuts. Um, <laughs> Telltale is just as happy about this outcome because now basically Brockton Bay has direct access to a whole world of pristine natural resources. 
Yeah, almost to the point where you wonder if this is like what she wanted all along, or at least like one of the possibilities that she saw that she was hoping would we would get to. Um, either way, this is going to serve to bring Brockton Bay back from the brink of destruction. Um, it just basically made it the most important city on the planet, um, which is cool for our little city. Yeah. So here, Alexandria kind of retakes her leadership role, even though she's wearing a melted metal underwear um, <laughs> and and states that no one can know what happened here with Echidna. Uh, and, and she continues to ins- insist, though, everything we did, we did for the right reasons. I understand it's ugly without the context. Uh, and uh, in response to this, someone spits in her face. Hey, who d- whose reasoning does this kind of sound like here, Matt? I, I don't know. I don't someone, know what you're talking about. Someone we know really well? Yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah, Ki- kind of. It's only almost verbatim. Um, so, yeah, uh, too much depends on the protectorate, she says. Too much depends on the PR casting capes as the good guys and not as potential super weapons. The world won't survive the next two Endbringer attacks without a cohesive cape community. Um, and, and she basically concedes that Idolan and and herself as Alexandria will, will retire from the PRT. Um, and that Legend didn't know the worst parts, so she'll leave his decision up to him. Yeah, and this is kind of the natural conclusion that you get to with, with that kind of um, everything we did, we did for the right reasons, reasoning. And it's a good example of, of why sometimes power exceeds the authority it has. Because um, why did Armsmaster get away with his crimes? Because the world needed him out there fighting, not in prison. Um, and, and, and that's exactly why the Triumvirate is going to seemingly get away with their crimes as well. Because, because their power exceeds the authority that's granted them by the government. They aren't beholden to the rules because they're too important to suffer the consequences of them. And... We see this in our world all the time, too. The whole banks being too big to fail after the, the collapse of the financial institutions. They escaped consequences because we needed them. We needed them to operate. And we needed these institutions to survive. And therefore, we live in a world where those institutions can play with any rules that they want. Because even when we establish rules for them and they break them, we can't punish them. And that's 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 where the PRT is right now. And it's shitty. It sucks. And I understand why Taylor in this moment is like, fuck authority. It's awful. But I don't know. I don't know what else you can do in this moment because they do need these people. They do. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, I don't kind of opened up the whole the whole thing saying like, look, I'm there's me and there's and there's Scion. And and uh, that's pretty much all you you guys have when it comes to the, to, to the end bringers. Yeah. So uh so, yeah, what are you going to do? Put them in the birdcage for, for this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, she also claims that now Cauldron will be out of reach uh, and, and beyond justice. Yeah, behind the same kind of portal that Alexandria was losing her shit about moments before. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's almost it's like you almost suspect that the, the, the first world that Alexandria that uh, Labyrinth like felt was was maybe the Cauldron world. I'm, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be implied or not. Uh, I think that by the fact that when uh when Labyrinth says that Skitter feels Alexandria straighten up and get uncomfortable with her bugs. I think that's exactly what that was. Yeah. That she was terrified that, that, that she just stumbled upon the cauldron world. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably it. So yeah, at this point, Skitter once again, can't keep her mouth shut and she steps forward and gives a little speech asking everyone to take some time and talk things through before making any rash decisions. Um, it's hard to tell if anybody really listens at this point and she flies away afterward. Wow, Matt, look at look at Taylor here. 
authority hating Taylor. Taylor, who the moment before the speech says, I felt numb. She was everything I despised. Authority, the institution, the self-serving people in power, the untouchable. And then she gets in front of a crowd and defends her. Not because she agrees with her, not because she likes her. Uh, there's, There's a truth at the core of Alexandria's argument that we've talked about here. A truth that Taylor identifies with because... It's kind of the truth at her core, too, that that everything that she's done, she's done for the right reasons. And if you take those actions out of context, they look terrible. Um, but but to Taylor, they're not terrible because in context, they were the right things to do. And I think that's why we see her kind of uh, she she's not totally defending, but she's saying, look, we need to think about this because she recognizes a little bit of herself in Alexandria, I think, here and. That's interesting because that's that's a different side of Taylor. We've we've seen a Taylor that is able to see all this rationale in herself, but never able to see it in someone else. When someone else makes this exact same argument, they're like, "No, you're awful. You're terrible. You're evil. You're a bully." Um, and this is she's she's seeing this in someone else. I think. Yeah, yeah. She's like, "Hey, hey, it's it's the ends justify the means argument. I love that argument. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend this person. <laughs> yeah." Uh, yeah, so so we we cut to later on. Uh, Taylor is is out of costume, hanging out on her on her balcony, feeding Atlas, um, holding the pieces of paper from Dinah, and uh, they're they're open, but we don't see. I want to I want to know what they say so bad. I know, um, and and it does say that she'd stopped by home and, and checked things over with her bugs, and that her dad was there, uh, more or less fine, um, and 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 but she does think to herself that she'll go home in just a little while. Yes, yes, yes. Please, Taylor, go back. Reach out to the Taylor side of you. Reconnect with the Taylor parts of you. Please, this is your chance. Do it. Yeah, we just had this heroic moment. It's right there. It's within. It's, it's, it's within your reach. Yep. And then Lisa comes over to visit, and uh, she lets us know uh, that she owns the land where the portal was located. Well, that's a uh, awfully convenient, isn't it, Matt? Yeah. Well, I mean, she probably arranged it that way, but but yes. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa. So, so then finally Lisa tells us about her uh, her trigger event which uh, it, it's weird Scott I mean the text j- at this point just says uh, Scott was right about everything uh, it, it's really strange and out of place and uh, I, so I guess I'm just going to skip over uh, this this part wow did Wild Bill just go in and, and edit after the fact that's huh, huh. Yeah. no um, <laughs> no of course what the, the she tells the story and it's the story is that uh, her, her family was rich and, and not particularly close. And her brother, a popular kid, committed suicide. And Lisa mentioned that she might have seen signs um, and, and her family started blaming her for it. And she triggered on one of the many nights where she was fixated on how things would be different if she just knew more. Yeah, so uh, I was right. Um, and I'm sure that people were surprised that i made this prediction because it was a, a, a while ago wasn't it yeah yeah um, this was one of the um <laughs> this was one of the what what the hell <laughs> i got some what of the this? details wrong uh, i said sister instead of brother i was thinking I, I wasn't thinking that the kid committed suicide i don't think i said he probably got himself in some kind of trouble and ended up dead i was thinking maybe he was like murdered or he got, he got mixed in with the wrong crowd or something but i think suicide actually works so much better um i don't know what to say except you know, I was sitting down thinking through all this stuff and it's one of those things when you're like, you're like working through a puzzle and suddenly you get far enough along in the puzzle that like 
the whole picture becomes clear and you're just like, of course. And that's just, I think what happened that like, I was just, I was just working through things. We had just learned, I think about how the triggering, the trigger events were related to the trauma that you had and your powers gained were kind of related to, um, to what happened to you. I think we had just learned Gru's trigger at the time or something. And it just, it just made sense. It just, it just felt so right. This is, it was the most confident prediction I've made thus far because it just felt so right. Um, and I'm happy that it's right because this is really, really keys into exactly who Lisa is as a person. Yeah. So yeah, the, this prediction and the, uh, and the uh, grew uh, th- there's going to be a second trigger event and it's going to be grew um, where the two where where me and and other people were kind of blown away. <laughs> but um, th- th- this one in particular, like on the one hand, I don't think I, I saw it coming the first time I read this. But, but on the other hand, on rereads, I definitely notice that it's being set up, um, that it's totally consistent with everything that comes before it, totally consistent with your character. Um, so if, if anything, I kind of view it as like, oh, it's a nice like Easter egg for rereads, but really maybe like I should uh, more appropriately view it as like, this is a text that the mystery, uh, this, this is a, this is a mystery that the text has given you the information that you need to solve actually. And cause you did solve it. In fact, you solved it quite a while ago. Um, and, and everything you saw after you made that prediction, uh, perhaps subtly confirmed its correctness. Yeah, it did. Um, it did. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so that's. I think that's that's really cool, and um, it, it, the, just the fact that you've that you nailed this one and 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 a few of the others has made me really kind of honestly rethink how I read because I'm like if if authors are putting this type of stuff in their stories such that you can solve a mystery that you didn't even realize was a mystery, and I'm not even noticing until like a second or third read through, then I probably need to be paying more attention the first time through. Well, but I mean, the way that we're reading this story is super unique like nobody reads like we're doing like <laughs> that's true like we're i read i reread and reread so many times that like i'm obsessing over every single word and it's just like i don't think you're supposed to read this way so i would not fault anyone for not picking up on any of this stuff um i think it's cool that it's there i think it's a testament to the quality of the work that this stuff that these these things are laid there in the text somewhere but are you supposed to pick up on it? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think wild Bo wrote this stuff with Lisa saying, I bet people are going to guess this before they get to the reveal. I don't think so. It's just, we're weird. And we're reading this book in a way that no one else really is. Yeah. When you put it that way, I I actually agree. I don't think, I don't think you were intended to get it, but yeah, that's cool. So yeah, to continue Lisa's story, uh, when she got her power, her parents started trying to curry favor with her, uh, to kind of basically use her for it. So she stole a bunch of money from them and left. Uh, and when she eventually ran into Taylor, she had a read on her right away and understood that she was in a situation close to Rex's. But now that Taylor has solved her Dinah problem, she really doesn't need Lisa anymore. Oh, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and she says, uh, because I did what I had to do, I helped you. And I still feel like the stupid, self-obsessed little child that let her big brother die. It wasn't conscious, but maybe I felt like I needed to up the stakes pull something dramatic show that with all these crazy smart capes like Alexandria and fault line around, I could still be the smartest person in the room. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's so sad because like, 
you see here, and, and, and we know Lisa, but now we kind of understand much of Lisa's good behavior is is motivated by trying to help people who are in a cycle of despair. And, and much of her bad behavior is motivated by her sense of insecurity and inadequacy. Yeah. So much like Taylor, there are two sides of her trauma and one of them makes her heroic and the other one makes her villainous. Yeah, she's such an interesting character. Like she puts forth this 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 false front so effectively that you kind of forget that deep down there's this scared, damaged teenage girl under it all. And it's so funny because I guessed her trigger event correctly. So I had this information that I was pretty sure in the back of my head was correct. And still, I never really thought about how to Lisa Skidder was her Dinah, that she was putting everything and helping this girl in in making sure this girl uh, was safe and successful and got the things that she wanted out of this this feeling of guilt. I never connected that in my head, even though I, I had a pretty good idea what all this behavior came from. And it's because she just she just puts up this smoke screen that it like she always seems confident. She always seems like she knows what's going on. And like we knew that that was partially bullshit. Like we knew when we saw inside her head that she was putting forth this, but you just forget it because you're so used to seeing the calm, collected, I know everything and I'm confident in everything, Lisa. And even when I'm not confident, I play that off as a joke. Like I'm sarcastic about it, man. Yeah. 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 It, it, it kind of one of the, one of the tiniest, tiniest little moments in this whole arc that, that still kind of jumps out to me. And it just, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's arresting to me is like, uh, when, when Noelle, smashes down into Coyle's base and Tattletail is she says do your worst but she's like gripping the handrail right, right. and and it's like she's she, she, the, the, she's terrified she's absolutely terrified um and and she's she's desperate um but she's she's still trying to keep this keep this up so yeah, yeah. really great character mm-hmm. so yeah Lisa thinks maybe she'll be okay as you know as kingpin of Brockton Bay and owner of the inner universal portal um, <laughs> and Taylor gives her a hug, crumpling the papers in her fists. Yeah, maybe maybe ruling an entire city and basically owning a whole planet is finally enough for poor Lisa to feel like she is significant enough and yeah. good enough. Maybe. Right. Um, so we, we we leave our characters on this kind of cliffhanger, right? We're we're, we're finishing a story. Um, this is kind of the epilogue of this part of the story, and. We leave. We don't know what the two pieces of paper that Dinah said. We don't know what's going to happen next with Taylor. What's she going to do? She's for the first time in our story. She doesn't have a goal. She doesn't have like she's kind of free. Um, and there, there's this sense that those two pieces of paper that Dinah gave her are are so important and they could possibly lead us into the next section of our story. But by the act of crumpling them, we get the feeling that at least in this moment, Taylor has has chosen her friend over whatever they said. And that just makes me want to know what they said even more. Because um, we leave Taylor in this really weird place. I, I, I honestly, I don't know what to expect next for her. Um, as she said when she was talking to Clockblocker, where does she go from here? Does she hang up her villain cape? Is she too far gone now? Is she going to try to go back to being Taylor? What what is going to happen and i can't wait to find out i i absolutely can't wait yeah yeah i think this is a great a great ending with with so many possibilities um yeah this could it, be i think i feel like this could be the satisfying ending of a book 
if mm-hmm. if one day w- when worm is published and in volumes if a volume of the book ended here i think people would be satisfied and yeah. they'd want to read more of course they, they'd, they'd want the next book to come out but it, it has this sense of completion to it and yes there's more story to be told there but but this is the end of taylor's journey up to this point yeah yeah um yeah very like you said very, very satisfying um wish we could talk about that for for longer but we got to move on to uh fucking greg <sighs> fuck you greg yeah so <clears throat> so yeah almost this whole chapter um is screen excerpts from the in world forum parahumans online uh which is totally a thing that would exist and i would be a user yeah i'm sure uh we all would <laughs> um th- there though there's a certain thread throughout this and you'll have to tell me if you felt it too, but an idea that, that, that some of these people are treating the world of these capes as kind of a game, like a fun hobby to follow along with on the internet without really understanding like the full scope of what, what their existence does and what they are and, and how terrible all this stuff is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't think it's that different from, what I mean, what I'm guilty of doing with with politics and and what people do all the time, where yeah. where it's like it becomes it becomes an intellectual game on some level of of you know I don't know outsmarting people or or winning arguments or whatever, and it's like yeah, but these are whatever your arguments are, if they're political arguments, they have like the the, the cost is paid in in suffering somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not a joke, but people take it very lightly because that's kind of what the internet does. So. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I also wanted to ask you, like, other than fiction that my brother and I have written that you've read, have you <laughs> ever seen this uh, this plot this uh, not plot device this this narrative device of like story information being conveyed through a forum? No, I have not. Um, okay, it, it, this is new and it's very cool. I, I like it um, because. You know, this, I guess I said the last part was the epilogue. I, that was wrong. This is the epilogue to this story. And we kind of use it to uh, clearly demonstrate the passage of time because we've, we've been with Taylor in this almost real time world nature for so long that like the last six or seven arcs took place over the course of two weeks almost. And then from here on out, we move from the end of June to early July. I think by the end of this arc, we're july 8th i think is what greg says um but i I think it's cool way of showing the time passage of kind of summarizing what is happening during that passing time uh and and learning a little bit more about the world i I think it's really cool yeah yeah um yeah so as we're as we're reading through um the the forum posts uh we immediately know that uh void cowboy as as the uh, username is uh he he's an asshole because uh, at the very top of the page, we see that he has a forum rap sheet of of multiple bans, warnings, and probations. And he's, in fact, on probation right now. Um, and he's also clearly like a kid because he types censored when he doesn't actually need to. So he's, he's, he's a loving idiot. Yeah. Uh, it, it is so interesting how much we reinforce throughout this chapter how much of a jerk this guy is. <laughs> like basically every post that he's on, he's just like terrible like every every interaction reinforces that he sucks <laughs> and it helps that his name is like the worst example of terrible message board names like uh-huh. if my name were xx scotty underscore doesn't underscore no xx i bet everyone would hate me too 
Yeah. It's like putting the stupid X's in your. Oh, I hate it so much. Good yeah. job, Wildbo. It's like, yeah. what would annoy people? Oh, yeah, here we go. And the reason this annoys us is this is probably exactly the kind of stupid shit we did when, when we were like 16. So. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, so, yeah, Void Cowboy uh, reads a thread about how nobody really knows what happened in Brockton Bay. Uh, we get a sense of what the world does know and how the world at large perceives the city. A lot of the info we get is from Cape spouses telling tales out of school. Uh, one thing I really enjoy about this chapter is that it shows us that there's a whole world of people who are thinking about things and asking questions. Like we've got these forum warriors with really strong opinions about Professor Haywire's technology. So definitely this is not a story that hinges on everybody except our small handful of protagonists being incurious idiots. Yeah, I think that's something that you have mentioned uh, in the past when talking about some of this stuff. And you're absolutely mm -hmm. right that there's this there's this world of people researching and, and performing scientific experiments on all the, the different things within the world of, of parahumans. Um, the thing that I like the most about this is in every message board page that we read, there's a thing that we need to know for the advancement of the story. So there's, there's one nugget in there that like tells us something important and advances the story. But there's also some other posts within the thread that are just kind of flavor text that, mm -hmm. um, that with the wild spent time to construct like what an actual message board would look like in this world. And the result is that in between all of these, this is important for the story parts. We have just this flavor and it, and it makes it feel authentic and it's really cool. Yeah. Um, it's speaking of kind of authentic flavor, uh, Void Cowboy also has a private dialogue with somebody named G-String Girl, um, who is uh, seems to have a really hard time with video game controls. Hmm. I wonder who that could be. Uh, should we just do that at the end of the chapter, I guess? Yeah, okay. let's, let's save that. Okay. So, so there's a lengthy section dealing with the fact that some people on the forum are Brocktonites who either need help or are volunteering to provide help. And so the board has a verification procedure in place to coordinate that. Void Cowboy is obviously a big fat liar in some way or another. We're not sure how exactly. Yeah, but he's obviously he's he's making him seem like he's a survivor when he's not. And this white fairy person just fucking hates him. <laughs> like they're like hounding him every post he's in. It's really good. Um, yeah. But it does take a special amount of terrible to lie about being a victim. Yeah. Uh, those people are the worst. You're the fucking worst, Greg. Yeah. Greg and Cody should have a, a you're the fucking worst party together. <laughs> yes, I agree. So uh, in, in PRT news, we learned that Legend is stepping down and Weld will be leaving and heading up a new K-53 group, The Irregulars, which <laughs> the first time I read that, I was just, I think, I don't know if this is true or not, but this may have been the moment where I was like, Wildbo is unparalleled when it comes to names <laughs> because that's such, that's such a perfect name that you can't, the whole, like the whole story, this is the pinnacle <laughs> of storytelling. It is a really cool name. It's so awesome. And I hope that we see a lot about them more in the future. Um, it's such a cool group. It's such a cool name being led by Weld, who's just this great guy. Um, and, the thing, the the legend part is interesting too, because remember, like Alexandria and Idolan said that they were going to step down, and that legend, on the other hand, didn't know about any of this stuff, so he like he he was kind of more innocent than the rest of them and all this. 
but it feels like legend really chose to step down here maybe out of guilt or something because he feels terrible for the things that he's done or the things that he's been party to um you like i still like legend a lot i really do yeah, I think it specifically says he's stepping down as leader. It doesn't say he's retiring, whereas right. Idolin and Alexandria are, are are retiring from the Protectorate, although they'll presumably still be, like, doing Inbringer fights because yeah, that was kind I of the whole point. I fucking hope so, yeah. Um, I love the detail, though, of Weld being the type of person that would follow along with the threads and then jump in and, like, well, yeah. actually the whole thing. <laughs> and, yeah. And he can't help but be nice, both in person and on a message board. He's still, like, the nicest person. He's like, I mean, he's totally bullshitting, but he's like, yeah, we left very uh, amicably with, with the, the Protectorate. Uh, they're helping us out. We're still going to work with them. Everything's great. Yeah. Yeah. God, That's Weld is the best. PR boy Weld, yeah. Yeah. So there's some speculation also on the board uh, that the next Inbringer attack could be really bad. Yeah, um, almost as if we're setting up one of the next big events that's going to happen in Worm. Um, I'm going to make a speculation about this later, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it now too because, yeah, there's going to be another Endbringer attack and it's going to be real bad and I'm guessing it's going to be Behemoth because that's the one we haven't seen yet. So it seems logical. Mm. Neutral response. <laughs> I can um, see your face now. You better watch it. I know. This is, uh, I, was, I was noticing that earlier. I was like, oh, <laughs> need to work on my actual poker face. Um, yeah, so this this evolves into a discussion about the villains of Brockton Bay and their various territories. And some random person wants to be a hench person for Rachel and is then contacted by user Char. Char, eh? I wonder who that could be. I guess we'll see. Hmm. Uh, there's a lengthy thread about uh, where uh, m- many people, uh, including Vista, point out uh, a post about who they've lost, um, including our friend Void Cowboy. Um, and I- I'm not sure if we're supposed to dismiss his story as a lie out of hand or, or what exactly, but uh, he does seem to be kind of fishing for attention. Matt, it's Greg. He's fucking lying. Um, and... He almost gets caught in his lie immediately, and I like that a lot because yeah. because White Fairy swoops in and like totally calls him out on it. Um, notice how here, however, that there's this little tag you can put on the bottom of your post if you don't want um, a private message with the condolences in it. And everyone who posts in this thread puts NC saying no condolences in there, except for fucking Greg. <laughs> And I did not notice that, so uh, I appreciate that detail. <laughs> Fuck you, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, and then this this line looks like an excerpt from r slash pair of humans. This conversation is going nowhere. She's bad, but she fought an inbringer. But that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that she's bad. But she saved lives. But that doesn't change the fact that she's bad. But she keeps the peace. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right it does it does feel like a conversation on the reddit doesn't it and i yeah. think that's that's wild Bo, um kind of telling us pretty explicitly that that both these things can be true at the same time that that there's this duality to taylor and and skitter um that she is both the hero and the villain and that struggle of that inherent duality to her is kind of what this book is about with when you have this struggle how will it end and and I don't know, like if you do the worst thing that you've ever done, but that thing saves the world, what does that mean? And I can't wait to, to find out. I can't wait to see where this goes. 
Yeah. So this discussion about Skitter uh, segues into Greg, uh, you know, Void Cowboy, sitting in his room having the epiphany that Skitter seems a lot like that girl Taylor he knew from school. God damn it, Greg. <laughs> um, I, I guess we've met him back in Arc 2. Someone said on Twitter when I said I don't remember who this person is, because um, that was six months ago for us <laughs> when we were doing Arc 2. Could you believe that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess actually, we met him. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely didn't remember that the first time I read this, but but on on our on our read through pass, I definitely noticed Greg. Yep. Um, Look, Greg, kind of sucks, um, and, and I'm sure we're gonna get to see him again. He mentions at the end of this chapter that everyone's going back to school tomorrow, and he wonders if Taylor would be the type of person that would go back to prove how much she's changed and um and and stuff and and speculation. Yeah, that's going to happen, definitely. Um, but this whole thing is seemingly just Greg doing a series of jerky-ass things over and over again. He's annoyed at Taylor because she brushed him, brushed him off. Because apparently, if you're also a geek, it means that you are required to date another geek in his mind. That like, oh, we have to stick together, meaning you should date me when I ask you to. Fuck you, Greg. Yeah. Um, also, he's super mean to G-String Girl, who I guess let's just come out and say it, that this is Sveta. Our poor yeah. innocent Sveta, and that just makes him the worst fucking person ever because he treats her terribly. Like he's totally dismissive of her. Like she says, like she's enjoying playing games with him. She's having trouble with the controls of these games because she's made of tentacles. Um, and she says, "I like that other game better." And he's like, "Don't even speak to me about that game. Fuck you, yeah. Greg. Fuck yeah. you." <laughs> Uh, uh, what a, what an emotional end to a chapter, right, Matt? Surely, surely the next interlude um, will be a reprieve from all these complicated and and powerful emotions. Yeah, um, right. We're just gonna ease right in right. to the end of this. I mean, it's good that we're laughing now because we have a really long <laughs> way to fall oh just God. now. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I almost want to preface this with like how hard this was for me to. To, to to write the summary for this chapter um some pretty heinous shit has happened in this story but this is the only chapter where i've i've like wanted to skip things i've been like yeah. I, I don't want to have to don't want to have to summarize this this just this is too painful to, to have to like process in my brain so anyway i'm going to get into it <laughs> um ordinary teenager Emma Barnes argues with her dad about nothing and gets a call from her best friend, Taylor. Fuck. <laughs> Not only are we now in an Emma chapter, but it's an Emma origin story chapter. Um, my thoughts when I first read this in the moment was like, Oh no, wild Bo is going to make me feel bad for Emma. And he did it, Matt. <laughs> he did it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think to, to echo your sentiment, I did a half-assed job of, filling in my notes on this because it was so hard to talk about. And, and so a lot of this is going to be off the cuff emotional reaction from me. Cause I didn't prep for this chapter as much as I, I wanted to, because going back and reading it was very hard. Um, yeah. there is, there's so much happening here and there's so much emotional stuff happening between all of these characters. And you're, you're partially devastatingly sad. You're partially fucking furious at everything. It's just, it's just some of the most emotional I've been in, in reading so far. Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, so uh, as Emma listens to her friend ramble on about summer camp, seemingly finally enjoying herself after months of devastation over the loss of her mother, the car rolls to a stop, and the Barneses realize they're being blocked in. ABB gang members approach the car and, without warning, pull out Emma uh, before she can manage to dial 911. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the gang members steal her jacket and discuss selling her into sex slavery. Half delirious. She begs them not to damage her face, and this prompts them to offer one of the members of the gang uh, uh, basically an, an initiation if she'll cut up Emma's face. Uh, and, and he gives Emma the choice of how uh, to, to have her nose, an, one eye, her mouth, or both ears uh, uh, removed or, or maimed, I guess. Like, I don't even know what to say here other than this is terrible. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're 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 reading this and obviously it's terrible in, in the moment. And then, of course, you're like mentally cross referencing with like, OK, this explains a lot. Right. Uh, but well, I mean, it it does this by itself doesn't quite explain a lot because it's like, well, why would this lead to that? And then, of course, we 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 see that. But yeah. it's um really, really effective. Um, yeah. So uh, as as she's contemplating this this impossible choice, she notices a figure in a, in a black cape crouched on the roof of, of her car not moving and certainly not helping yeah and i don't think i've ever hated someone the way i hated sophia in that moment um yeah that she's right. just standing there watching all this happen right you can be with greg fuck you yeah of course we yeah and of course we immediately know that it's that it is sophia um so yeah emma thinks about taylor um and how when she lost something she ceased to be the same person she doesn't think she's strong enough to come back from that. And and this prompts her to start thrashing and she tries to claw out uh, the, the gang member's eye. Yeah. And this is really, really interesting because we're going to spend the rest of this chapter learning about Emma, learning about who she is and, and the person that she's become by the time our story starts. And a lot of what we learn is going to cause us to pity her. Uh, on a on a pretty fundamental level, and I think that's a natural reaction to to witnessing the type of stuff she goes through. But there's something at at the core of Emma that's a little off. That that this idea that that being vulnerable and being weak is the worst possible thing you you could be. And yeah, Sophia latches onto that and abuses it and molds her into this this person that she eventually becomes and 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 this trauma that happened to her is awful but like we can't just explain away emma by the things that happened to her there's something there there was always something there is what i'm trying to say like mm -hmm. like i don't know if that makes sense yeah it kind of it, it does i mean i, I this kind of makes me think about like you know, if some horrible trauma happened to me as like a grown man, I have various like tools for dealing with it, uh, you know, like mental tools, I mean, uh, psychological right. tools. But like as a teenager, you have you're you're so especially, you know, like a like a younger teenager, you you don't have the life experience or or knowledge to understand like the options available to you in terms of dealing with bad things that happen um, and, and so it's very realistic that you could have just like have things askew in your head and, and lead to ending up the way Emma does. Um, 
and uh, yeah. and like you say, I think I think things did have to be askew in her head in advance for for that to happen. Right, um, and and Emma comes from this place of pretty high privilege too. Um, like she she's her her parents seem successful. She has a good family. Um, she like as never. I think she says I've never been afraid in my life. Not like truly afraid. Like, so she's coming from a place of, of privilege already so much to so that you, some of her random like disassociated thoughts while this terrible thing that's happening to her is going on is like, dad, you're embarrassing me. And these weird thoughts that keep popping into her head and, and like she even comments on how off putting they are that they're just in there. But, but th- I think that comes from her place of, of privilege that that kind of stuff pops into her head as she's going through this terrible, terrible thing. And yeah. God, what a fascinating character, right? I mean, like, yeah. he, Wild Bo, just write the shit out of all these characters. I know, yeah, and they're also different. Yeah, so the figure in black finally steps in. Shadow Soccer does her Shadow Soccer thing. She maims and, and brutally defeats the gang members. She she cuts, the, the the one dude has one eye left, and she cuts his eye. Yeah. Um, and, and then after she takes them all out, she leaves without saying anything. And then uh, later on, we cut to Emma isolated in her room shut in apparently it's been it's been a week or at least at a certain point it's it's been a week um and she's clearly suffering from ptsd and, and her own trauma now yeah and it's amazing we talk about trauma so much on this podcast we talk about trauma so much in this book because it's one of the main themes but our trauma has always been centered around the trauma that creates parahumans and mm-hmm. here we just have you know your regular old i went through a traumatic experience i'm not I'm not I didn't develop superpowers I'm not a cape I'm just a, a little girl who had a terrible thing happen to her and like it, it's so kind of it, it sets everything back down to this real world type of level that like this kind of trauma this kind of response to trauma happens in our world all the time this is this mm-hmm. this type of thing happens all the time and yeah you, and you don't leave it with superpowers you leave it with this this world shattering change of who you are yeah Uh, yeah i wonder i wonder if you thought if you thought that you were reading emma's trigger event like like if you thought that emma was going to be a cape now you know for for a moment yeah i mean that's that seemed to be where we were going that we're putting emma through this to have her trigger and maybe that's that's a big reveal that emma has been a cape the whole time but no i mean i love i love that that's not where we went i love that no, this is just everyday real trauma. Right. And, yeah. And, and there's just, clearly most people don't trigger when they have something horrible right, happen to them, right. even, even in this world. So, right. yeah. Yeah. So later, uh, Taylor calls and Emma doesn't want to talk to her. And, and here, this is maybe this is one of the first moments where we realize that she can't be reminded of Taylor because Taylor is now bound up in this moment of her own trauma. Yeah, and this is the beginning where I just started getting emotionally devastated. Um, I, I don't even want to talk about this particular part of it yet um, because we're going to get to it with when she actually sees Taylor for the first time. And like you just you just like I she needs uh, she needs someone to talk to. And I'm not even going to make a Yamada joke here because she just needs help. The, yeah. And and. The, the the beat I do want to focus on here is that like Emma's family is trying with her 
but they don't know what to do. They're genuinely worried about her. They, they talk to her about going to a therapist. They, they try to give her stuff to distract her. But there's this undercurrent under all of it, that this, this idea that it's been a week. It's been a week. You haven't left your room. You can't be happy like this. So you need to move on. Of course she's not happy. She just went through this terrible thing. And, and it's not malicious. Like, I don't think it's her family being terrible to her on purpose. But it's just they don't understand. They don't understand how to help someone through this thing. And, and like, Taylor went through her own trauma with her mother dying, and, and Emma was there for her. And, and Emma, on the other hand, won't let anyone in, won't be able to make herself rely on anyone else. And so she's just truly just alone. And it's, God, it's, huh. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is like hard. This is hard to talk about, Matt. It yeah, really is. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's just, let's just get, get through this. Through. Yeah. Yeah. So once everyone leaves the house, Emma washes herself with functional soaps, not, not the nice ones that her sister got her. So she's, she's kind of hiding in a small way. Yeah. And then she rushes outside, preempting her own hesitation. She's terrified, but she's still doing it. And and as she walks, she's fixated on how everyone must see a victim when they look at her. She walks all the way to the, to the site of the incident. And then she just waits there for apparently hours. Um, and, and, she, and she's thinking Emma had fought in a moment of desperation, as if fighting could make her stronger than Taylor uh, set her apart. Except she'd failed. It was unbearable. She hated herself. And that is the the core undercurrent of everything that the Emma we know is that she hated herself. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been a while since we talked about bullying specifically in this book. Um, we've, we've, we've moved on to bullying in the specific to bullying in the kind of abstract, but here the root of everything, the root of everything that happened to our main character is because of bullying is because of bullying by this person. And the root of that is hatred and mm-hmm. it's not hatred for Taylor; it's hatred for herself. Um, but but that 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 weakness was linked to this person, so she took it out on her instead of taking it out on herself. And yeah. like, I mean, that's like we, we talk about bullying in, in the real world so much because it's a re, it's a real problem that kids go through in school, and and that's the root of it is that these kids are so unhappy and so miserable and so frustrated with who they are or, or, or what they are that they're taking this out on other people. And it's such a real moment. Like we've, we've all experienced this before and uh, <laughs> like, yeah. like I just, <sighs> right. And, and not to get all psychodynamic on, on Emma, but the hate is really covering for, for fear because right. that's really how these things work in, in her case. And, and generally is, is she's, she's terrified of, of ever being a victim again, of ever being in that specific, you know, that's, that's what, that's what PTSD does to you is it kind of make, t- takes a, takes a specific situation and makes you feel like, oh, that's going to happen again. And that could happen again at any moment. And I need to do everything I can to make sure that situation never happens again. So she's, she, she hates what she perceives as her own weakness and her own, you know, uh, her own vulnerability. And, and she, yeah. because she's trying to turn herself into someone to whom this could never happen again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, which again is driven from fear. Yeah. So Sophia appears beside her um, and compliments her for having the guts to show up. And uh, uh, Emma realizes who this is. And, and Sophia says, there's two ways you respond to trauma. 
you get stronger or you get weaker. And uh, basically that the world is winners and losers, strong and weak, predators and prey. We've, we've heard this from her before. Um, it, it's a lens that makes it possible for Sophia to get on with her life. And she's offering it to Emma as a life preserver. Um, so Sophia asks her, are you a survivor or a victim? And says, uh, on this violent, brutish little planet of ours, it's the survivors who wind up the strongest ones of all. Yeah, it's it's a really good life philosophy to help you get through the terrible things that have happened to you. But it's also kind of bullshit. <laughs> and yeah. like it's skewed and a terrible way of looking at the world. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that as we round round out the chapter, though. Yeah, I mean... Again, it's it's motivated by the fear of ever being the, right. the victim, right? You know, yeah. but but the, the reveal is, of course, that by by trying so hard to be the predator, you're actually just making yourself the prey. Yeah, yeah. There's always a bigger bigger fish, right? To quote, yeah, the wise Qui Gon Jinn. I can't believe you just referenced <laughs> fucking Star Wars Episode One in a depressing chapter. I know. I'm even more depressed. Yeah, that was the worst possible thing I could have said. Uh, so later on, Sophia shows up at Emma's house and then Taylor stops by. Um, um, yeah, so it's this is a Taylor we don't recognize. It's an innocent, excited kid. And and I ty- I have here in my notes, it, it's too much because <laughs> I just I, I typed that because that was just what I was thinking. I was like, it's too much. I can't do this. So I actually like stopped and, and came back in a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so Sophia and Emma drive her away, you know, with with verbal abuse. Emma tells her that she's cutting the cord, that Taylor hasn't been that hasn't been fun to be around for the last year. And, and even before that, she wasn't fun to be around. Yeah, this like the Taylor we see through Emma's eyes. You're absolutely right. Is is not a Taylor we've ever seen before. She 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 feels like a child. Like the way it's described, how she like is walking, is like bounding down the sidewalk, and that we see her just in this moment just destroy this girl, and it it's so it's so terrible. And the fact that each and every insult that Emma throws at her is is has a kernel of truth to it. She's not. She's not telling the truth entirely, but she's not completely lying either that that there's part of Emma that was kind of tired of of Taylor being sad that which is I think a human response. I think yeah. you know you want to be there and you want to comfort your friends, but you're not going through that thing, and eventually you just want things to go back to the way they were, even though they they, they just won't they never yeah. will, and that's so human and like. It's just like that how you can how you can be, like I said, so mad at someone and so and feel so bad for them at the same time. It's just like every every sentence is just so hard to get through. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's 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 awful. Um, yeah. And then Sophia trips her as she leaves and, and Taylor runs away and Emma, Emma doesn't, doesn't feel better actually. Of course not. Um, but, but she, she, she feels terrible, but there's a, there, there is a relief, um, that this one connection to her trauma has been pushed further away. Yeah. And, and you just, you just like, I just wanted to grab Emma and shake her and just be like, stop it. Take mm-hmm. comfort in your friend. She will help you. She will help you through this. She genuinely cares about you. She loves you. Not this bullshit one that's that's feeding this stupid ass philosophy into your ears. That's that like 
it's just like you just I've never in my life wanted to jump into a book and just be <laughs> like, stop it. Yeah. But we're we're powerless to do anything like we the, 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 even more so this this is takes place in the past. We already know the end end point of this entire thing. And yeah. It's awful. That makes it even harder. Yeah. There's that dramatic irony again. Yeah. So we, we have a short kind of a series of short little snippets here. Uh, one of them, Emma and, and Alan drive downtown and help perform first aid on an injured shadow stalker. Yeah, because they owe it to Sophia because she saved them. Yeah. Fuck right. shadow stalker. I'm glad yeah. she's in prison. Yeah. Later, we see glimpses of Taylor's bullying from the other side. Taylor's deterioration, her gradual surrender and retreat into her affectless armor. While Emma gets more and more used to behaving this way, more and more in character, more and more convinced that the only way to really never be like Taylor is to destroy the other girl. Um, it, it's reassuring. It's, it's a confirmation that Sophia's warped philosophy is correct to see Taylor destroyed like this. Yeah, only because she's forcing it to be correct through her choices and her actions. Like she's forcing this to be true by deciding to destroy someone. And it's like, like it's just like I hate Sophia so much. Like there's, there's no weakness in admitting that you need help. There's nothing wrong with that. And fucking shadow stalker in this moment. Like I like you like, and it's so hard to talk about like, we know that Shadow Stalker went through some terrible stuff too. And and that gets to a thing that I think we're going to finish with this that we're going to go full circle. That trauma just begets more trauma, just begets more trauma. And you know, things ha- bad things happen to people that changes them and they spread that badness to other people. And it's just you feel kind of hopeless in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean just intrinsically and, and like you said because we know exactly where this is going yeah and the the irony of all this of course is that the one thing emma was most afraid of in the moment of her attack was that this a moment would change her would would change the type of person she is that's what she feared the most that's what caused her to actually lash out and start fighting back in that moment and and that's exactly what it's done. She is changing herself. And and it's almost not even that the event is is changing her. It's that she's intentionally changing herself. She's putting up this false person, this person that she's not because it makes it easier for her. And and it's this this real feeling of you pretend to be something for so long that eventually you don't have to pretend anymore that that's right. just who you are. There's this moment I, I didn't actually I didn't actually take out, but um um she she challenges Taylor in, in some way and, and Taylor responds. I think that says more about you than it says about me. And th- that is essentially putting light on the fact that that th- this isn't really about Taylor being a victim. This is about Emma being an insane person who is deciding to call herself a predator now yeah um and 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 play the role of a predator and and there's and, and Emma's reaction to it is to be like that it, it, it irritated her that and and that's that's not what I meant and it's almost like you can see her doing her own compartmentalization there like papering over this little flaw in in the in the programming yeah um, yeah yeah so yeah, uh, the next little snippet, Emma and her father stand by Sophia for her for her uh, probationary induction into the wards. <sighs> and then, um, and, and here we learn that Shadow Soccer accidentally 
killed a guy. Um, and in, in fact, in front of Emma, um, I, I, I think is implied. Um, um, and, and I guess this is why she was ultimately tracked down and, and railroaded into joining the wards. Um, Sophia is angry at the restrictions. She's, she's really not happy about this at all. Uh, but Emma at this point has a little bit, little patience for her behavior. Um, and, and like you just said, um, she's kind of internalized this character, uh, this, this ruthless kind of, um, um, unforgiving person. And you can, you can imagine her thinking, just survive, quit whining. Right. Because I think, I think on some level, Sophia, uh, like adopted this predator, a prey thing, but maybe on some level she knew it was kind of bullshit because to complain about this kind of stuff certainly slots you into that prey position, doesn't it? But, but Emma, on the other hand, was in this, this such a vulnerable state that she adopted this philosophy as Bible and it, it, it has become everything to her. It, It is, it is fully defining of what she is. And so much so that even the person that, that brought her into this philosophy, she is even seeing her own weakness and backing away from her because of that perceived weakness. Um, and yeah. Like, huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you could say that, that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure something bad happened to, to Sophia that originated this, yeah. this mentality in her, but, but Emma has just, has clearly outstripped her uh, in, in application. Um, so yeah, later on we see the juice bathroom stall scene, um, where, Taylor restrains herself from killing everyone. Um, and, and, and Emma's, and Emma's thinking Taylor had become the archetypal victim. Emma mused in, in one sober moment as she parted ways with the other two girls. And I've found myself becoming the type of person who could genuinely laugh at, at something like this. Um, yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly what <laughs> yeah. you're saying. And, and you see like throughout every single one of these moments, there's this, this moment where like, the person Emma was like sneaks through, like she has a moment of realization, almost as if like one of the walls of her compartments breaks down and, and, mm-hmm. and pushes logic in there. And she realizes it. And her reaction to that is so powerful. And just like, she immediately bats it away. She has to move away from that. And she normally lashes out at Taylor in some way to, to, to deflect from that realization. And like, it's, it's so depressing. Like it, it's, this moment of like, you can see it's there. It's, it's right on the cusp of, of her, like, it's not too late almost. Like you see moments where it's not too late. Like she could still, she could still come back from this. She could still turn back from this person she's becoming, but she, she, every time that that opportunity presents itself, she doubles down on the behavior because it Mm -hmm. scares her. That person terrifies her. Yeah, exactly. So finally we skip ahead a bit more. And uh, Emma visits Sophia in juvie. Emma tries to lay out for Sophia the sense that there's hope for the future now. Um, And clearly we're much closer to the present now. Um, But Sophia isn't having it. The the world is ending in two years. So what? Uh, And and Emma's really looking forward to going back to school, actually. She's she's very optimistic about um, about this this new Rockton Bay where she can be an even more effective predator. Yeah, you 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 see like getting thrown out of the school, the school closing down and like all this stuff happening to her kind of, uh, damaged that this, this idea of herself in, in her mind and, and the idea of getting go back, going, go back to school and, and the power, um, hierarchy resetting itself 
with her naturally at the top of it um, is is reassuring to her because that's what she needs. She needs to be at the top of that that power list. Um, so, of course, this is what makes me think that Taylor's going to go to school, guys, because there's there's too much here. There's too much richness for Taylor for, for that not to happen. There's a reason we're 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 going through this right now. And um, it, it's like <laughs> It's it's delicious. Like as 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 sad as I am here, I cannot wait to see these two characters interact with each other again. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So so now Sophia is a wet blanket, um, not a predator, but a whiner and 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 prey essentially. She always was. That's what she always was. Yeah. So then that later later on, uh, the 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 Barnes family is driving around Brockton Bay. And Emma asks her dad to drive by Taylor's house due to some some impulse she can't quite place. Um, and we see that, indeed, Taylor did go back to her dad. Yes. And uh, and they're just hanging out. They're laughing. They're working on something. Um, Taylor somehow uh, immediately notices them as soon as the car <laughs> slows down. Um, it's an entirely different Taylor that she's seeing. And, and she realizes Taylor stayed. Taylor has grown. Taylor is the survivor. Yeah. Yeah, she is. She, she, she absolutely is. <laughs> and Matt, there, there's, there's so much to process here. And, and like we said, I struggled a lot with the notes in this chapter and what to say, because there's, there's so much going on, but, but I think that the core of it is that trauma cycle that, that I mentioned earlier, that, that trauma just begets more trauma and, and, and we just, bad things happen to us. So we do bad things to other people and this just keeps going and going and going. And you know, if you look at Emma and you look at Taylor and what the difference between these two, these two people are, um, well, one of the, the major things is one of them has, has power and has real actual power and the ability to use that power to, uh, to strike back against the things, things that have traumatized her where the other and Emma is, is truly powerless in this world. Um, the, and, and that's the thing that scares her the most, but I, I, I just like I can't I I hate her so much and like it's it's amazing in a chapter that spends the entire runtime like getting you to understand her and pity her and I do understand her I do understand Emma I do pity Emma but you that does you can still hate her like you can still hate the person that she has become and and I think by the end of this section we've gotten there to where Emma has fully become the person that that she's been trying to become so like th- there's there's a tendency i think to to th- think about this moment and say maybe maybe like she will have some kind of realization here and walk back her behaviors maybe she will become a better person after seeing after seeing what's happened with taylor uh-uh that's not going to happen um if anything taylor being strong is going to enrage her in a way that it has never had, never happened before. So <laughs> I, I like, we're going to see some shit go down, <laughs> I think in the next arc. And I, I, I can't wait to see it. And I, I love that, that wild bow is like this, this, this whole section is fantastically written. Absolutely. Um, and, but the, the idea that you can make someone hate someone while, while simultaneously pitying them is, is really hard to pull off. It really is. Yeah. And, and he does it. He, he really does it. And this has been really hard to talk about. Uh, I'm going to stop talking now because I want to move on. But 
this was this was fantastic. It was emotional. It was it was difficult. It was hard to read. It was it's hard to talk about. But I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this on, on in one specific sense, this may be the best writing in in the story. Um, and what I mean by that is every great writer has to be a great psychologist. Like you, you have to have such a developed like like theory of mind, theories of human psychology that you could slip in all these different people's minds, a very wide variety of people and have it be have it be convincing and feel authentic. Um, and here's the thing is I never, uh, before reading this, this Emma chapter, I, I never really understood like, like why a person becomes like this. And everyone has, has met just like a really vicious garbage human being bully, um, who, who really did behave this way. Like I'm sure everyone has met, has met this person at some point, like someone who seemed to take pleasure in, in, in hurting people. Um, and I've never understood how you get that way. And what Wild Bo has done in a single chapter with obviously a lot of kind of supporting text that, that gives you the information you need, but he, he's, he's taken you and he's shown you how really a normal person can become exactly that type of mundane monster. Um, and you understand them and you sympathize with them and you don't forgive them. But, uh, it's, it's, you're, you're in a, in a small way, you're a different person than you were before you read this. And I think that's great writing. Yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's, we, get, we, let's get out we, of this. We made it. So let's, let's, let's play some fun. Let's play the name games. Scott. Yay. Hooray. So yeah, we already talked about, so Apocrypha is perfect because Apocrypha is made up history which is in contrast to the library of Alexandria, which is real history. Yeah. Um, Ignis Fatuus, uh, Fatuus, perhaps I'm not sure. But long time since I took Latin, is a uh, is a will of the list, uh, will of the wisp. It's it's illusory fire. Um, compare with Idolin, which we haven't actually talked about, but uh, an, an Idolin can either be a specter or phantom. Um, but it can also be an idealized person or, or thing. And I think you could make a case that that's another, like the name means both things in, in a certain sense. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, and then there's a million pair humans online users that we didn't call out except G string girl is, uh, is Sveta because she is a girl who is, looks like a G string, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. The G for, for Garot and then that's um, true. She, she hangs out on a pole, right? Yeah. So yeah. And dead. she's made of strings yeah, also. Yeah. So, um, and then of course we didn't, I don't think we said, but Char is Charlotte, um, who, who works yeah. for Skitter. Um, I didn't see any other ones. Like there's obviously there's tags at the bottom that help out a lot in mm-hmm. understanding who these guys are, but, um, I didn't see any other ones. I, I, uh, is it true that, that Wild Bill used some of the names of frequent, like commenters on the story, uh, and kind of to, to name some of the posters. That sounds Um, familiar. Yeah. I think that is true. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. There we go. All right. All right. Scott, walk us through your speculations. All right. We got a lot here today. I'm trying to, to up the energy again after we got (laughs) past that arc. Um, let's make, let's be happy again. Um, cause I got some stuff right and some stuff wrong. Um, so there was one, that I made way back, like when we first started doing the speculations point that that Taylor's break with Emma is parahumans related. 
Um, we marked that yes at the time because it seemed that that Sophia was one of the instrumental parts of of Emma's uh, sudden hatred towards Taylor. We know that that's not entirely the truth anymore, and I'm curious what your opinion on this, if, if we should mark this to wrong, because I don't think this is really the intent of what I was saying at the time, that, that yeah, I mean, Sophia was involved, but, like, it's really what Emma went through and, and the things that happened to Emma that caused this thing to happen, so it feels like it wasn't specifically, like, if she had been mugged by a parahuman, then maybe we could say that, but I, 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 I this feels wrong to me now, so... So yeah, I, I in my head ever since you said that I was counting it as right simply because there was indeed a parahuman at the scene. I mean, <laughs> I, th- I thought you made that before you even knew Sophia was a, a cape. Yeah, I, I think we I think we marked that correct because we learned Sophia was a cape and and good friends with Emma. Um, okay. Well, I'm inclined to give you credit on that one. But, okay. Uh, okay. 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 I mean, if people want to argue, I guess, but yeah. I, I, I think I think you're. I mean, there's a parahuman there. Okay. And then, yeah. All there right. you go. Uh, number two was Lisa's trigger event, which of course we're going to mark correct. I, like I said, I got some of the details wrong, but, um, I think, I think I was close enough there to, to give myself credit for that. Oh, sure. Um, number three was that trickster will end up dead at the end of the section and killed by Noel. Obviously I was wrong about that. Uh, trickster is in the birdcage, uh, and Noel is dead and did not kill trickster. So there I was wrong. Um, really seemed like we were setting that up, but there we go. Uh, number four is that Weld is going to leave the wards. Um, I was right. I didn't say where he was going to go. I left that vague part off. Um, but yeah, he did leave the wards. He's in uh, the Irregulars, which is still the best name ever. Yeah. Um, so that one was correct. So we had four this time. Almost as awesome. if like we're at the end of a big part of the story. And we yeah. had a lot of things revealed. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if you were expecting him to leave the ward so soon after you made that prediction. I don't I don't think I was. I think I think it was going to be a, a long road towards that. Because I remembered you almost held back from making that prediction. And I was just like biting my tongue to be like, no, 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 <laughs> just say it. Just say the prediction now because it's going to be too late if you, if you yeah, don't say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did not expect it to be that soon. I thought it was going to be a long. I, th- I, I thought we were going to he- have him dealing with the aftermath of what happened for a, for longer. Of course, mm-hmm. I think everyone is going to be dealing with the aftermath of what happened, regardless of whether he's a, a formal member of the wards or not. But there we go. Um, so my new ones, I think we've actually covered most of these. I didn't really do a good job of like holding my predictions to the end. Um, my first one is, yeah, uh, that, that summer class on July 8th, uh, Taylor's definitely going to be there. Um, I just think... She, I think she's in this moment where uh, she is trying to to, to re-conceptualize uh, who she is and, and what she is and, and where she's going to be going in her life. And I think part of that for her will be getting back to some of the uh, uh, Taylor side of her. Uh, it's an opportunity for her to kind of walk back the, the transformation she's had a little bit and and recapture Taylor and from Skitter. Um, and so I think going to school, rejoining school is a big part of that. So I think, I think she's going to do that. Plus she's going to be visiting her dad. And I think he, that'll be a thing that, that he will ask her to do. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I think that Emma is going to discover that Taylor is Skitter, uh, in a similar way that we see Greg do it. I think there's a, there's a beat in, in fucking Greg's chapter where he says that, uh, that he put it together and he thinks that other people, if they're paying enough attention, will put, will be able to put it together too. And that felt like a hint to me, um, that, that maybe Emma will find this out. 
And uh, because Emma is Emma and hates Taylor, that that she will reveal this. She will not keep this a secret and she will let other people know. And maybe we're going to finally see just as just as Skitter's trying to, to walk back and, and, and take back her secret identity. We'll see that in identity stripped from her. So um, that's that prediction there. And then, of course, the third one that I already talked about was that the next Endbringer attack will be uh, Behemoth, who we haven't seen yet, and it will indeed not go well. So that's all I have for this week. All right. Well, uh, that will wrap up our coverage of Arc 19 Scourge. I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion and hearing Scott's reactions. As always, we appreciate your feedback, and we're always trying to improve. So let us know if you have any advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's episode. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, that's D-A-L-Y, and Matt's is at It's good. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Worm, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. This week, we are introducing a brand new podcast series on the main Daily Planet feed. Matt, what is this new show all about? Uh, This show will be named So-Called Writers, and it's a continuation of a very long-running project uh, by me and friend to the pod, Michael. Uh, Every week, Michael and I, and anybody else who wants to participate, will write a timed 30-minute short story based on a randomly generated three-word prompt. And then on the podcast, uh, we, Michael and I, will talk about what we wrote and uh, possibly what you guys wrote if if we get submissions. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that all works out. If you guys want to participate, the words for this week are gland employee minute. Those are some interesting words. And yeah, that sounds really interesting, Matt. Uh, I will probably come on the show at some point and participate as well. Um, uh, we're starting to have a lot of shows on that Daily Planet feed. I'm very happy with with how that's going. Yeah, that's right, Scott. Uh, but if you want to see even more, we have we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash dailyplanetfilms. If you like what we do here and want to make sure we keep doing more, consider donating a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Special thanks to new Planeteer at the $5 level, Benjamin S., new Captain Planet at the $10 level, Marcus, uh, who upped his donation uh, this week uh, to fall into this new category. New Kryptonian at the $20 level, uh, Amy Lee, uh, Amy L, sorry, I don't know how that happened <laughs> in my brain. And lastly, special thanks to Lupin X, who with their $45 donation is now just literally Superman. <laughs> so if you haven't noticed by all that nonsense that Matt just said, we have redone some of our Patreon donation tiers, uh, making them less boring. They're really just like producer, associate producer, executive producer, which are really... Let's be honest, guys. They're just nonsense words that don't mean anything. So uh, <laughs> so we we adjusted those and made them a little bit more in theme. I, I like the new categories a lot. I think they turned out really good. We've also adjusted some of our rewards, which we include, included adding a Discord server for everyone that pledges at least a dollar. So if you pledge to the Daily Planet, you get access to our Discord server. Um, there's a lot of great discussions going on there, uh, including some right now. And it, it's it's been really fun so far. This a lot of people talking about anime man there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot, lot of anime 
Um, but uh, more changes are coming to the Patreon as well. It's really never been a better time to pledge. Thank you for everyone that's done it. Uh, let's, let's keep this going. That's right. Uh, and also speaking of Patreon, please make sure you stop by Wildo's page and toss some money there because he's the guy who makes this whole thing possible. And if you can't spare any extra cash at the moment, that is absolutely fine. There are still so many ways you can help us out. Perhaps you can like augment your voice with some sort of crazy wind power and go around screaming we've got word everywhere. Or you can just rate and review us on iTunes. This week's spotlight review comes from Richard McRae from Canada. Mm. Huh, that name sounds really familiar. Can't quite put my finger on Oh, well. Uh, Richard gives us five stars and says, I can't say enough about Matt and Scott's thorough and compelling analysis. I'm reaching new heights of admiration for Worm's complexity and the innumerable levels on which it functions as I get to see it through other people's eyes, like a little real life interlude. (laughs) I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to appreciate the world building, lack of cheesy exposition or narrative economy, still not sure what that means, without their expertise and insight. I've been aware for a long time that Wildo has done something really, really cool and fun. Now, Matt and Scott's great work has shown me that Worm is really the product of a genius, working unfathomably hard at exactly the thing that they're supposed to be doing. This is such a great way to re-experience something that I enjoyed so thoroughly. It's so fist-pumpingly to seal a word from Matt. I love it to seal a phrase from Scott. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for your kind words. And don't worry, your secret identity is safe with me. Man, Matt, it's so crazy that Wildbo's brother would just give us a positive review like that. Yeah, I know, man. Oh, oops. 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 <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I will define terms such as narrative economy better in the future. <laughs> uh, yeah, so all right, that's it for us this week. Uh, next week, we're doing another mailbag where we'll feature an interview with Rain. Yeah, that's the a big ho- surprise announcement. Yeah, that's right. That's that's what you've been listening through all of this to hear. Um, <laughs> we, we hope not. We we will be we will be uh, interviewing Rain, um, uh, the the guy who organized the Worm audiobook project and was the voice actor for for many of the chapters. We had a great time talking to Rain, and we covered some very interesting topics. Uh, we hope you'll check it out and tell your friends. Remember to get your mailbag questions in this week. We can't wait to answer them all next time on We've Got Worm. Bye-bye. Our outro is getting long. It is.